All right, there we go. Good stuff. I think I've got everything up and working now. Kitties, damn. My kitties are going crazy. My schedule's all uh, all messed up, so they're trying to figure out what's going on. Hello, all, hello. Thank you for once again coming by another Merged Worlds Dungeons & Dragons stream. I appreciate that. It has been an uh, interesting weekend so far, for sure, right? <laughs> Hope you all got a chance to get at least a little bit of rest. Grab that there. Um, I slept okay. I got about six, six and a half hours, so I feel relatively fresh and ready to go. Didn't go to bed or nap. I'm going to sleep all night. Yes, you will. Good Lord, Mystique. <laughs> Stronger than I. Um, oh, hello. All the kitties are freaking out down here. Um, so, yes, today we're going to do our third week in a row of the Merge Worlds Dungeon Dragon story. I'm very excited to share it with you all. Um, Tonight's going to be a pretty important night, especially, uh, again, for determining kind of the, the future of how all of this works. Um, as you may remember, we left off with uh, the Artemis section of the story, and that's going to be our focus for today. Um, I'm not sure we'll get to the end of that section or not, but um, we'll get well into it. So, of course, we'll do a brief little recap of where we left off. Get down. <laughs> recap of where we left off. And then we'll jump on into it. Again, thank you all for coming by and hanging out. I appreciate it. If you, of course, enjoy yourself, remember to click the like button. And if you haven't, be sure to subscribe and make sure you come back more often. So, all right. So, um, again, I'd like to thank everybody for uh, the stream yesterday, the charity stream. Thank you all who came or were part of that uh, in whatever fashion you were. I definitely appreciate that. It was a lot of fun. Uh, my stomach is very settled now, so I'm good. Um, <laughs> One of those things. Okay, so Merge World. Let's chat about that, shall we? Uh, so where we left off, we had uh, finished up a good section of Mercy and Darsh's story. And we had moved over to Artemis's section of the tale. Um, as many of you remember, uh, before the first War of Serenity, um, almost on the eve of it, really, uh, the being or creature Draven appeared and... Artemis left with him uh, to fulfill her bargain to help him when he needed her uh, to defeat what he calls a greater evil. And so uh, she left. Uh, Michael, sensing he was there, um, grabbing Menandre, his intelligent spear that uh, fights undead, rushed to the temple, but it was too late. They were gone. Michael was still able to faintly sense Draven where he had gone. So he and Dandy had mounted up on horses, grabbed some supplies, and did their best to take off and catch up to them uh, and hopefully bring Artemis home. Because at this point, no one really knows if she was kidnapped or what. Of course, that's the assumption. Many of uh, Artemis's loyal followers, whether it be the clerics or the Templars, Lucas specifically, argued much for wanting to go. Um, but their responsibility was to protect the temple, so they all stayed to participate in the war. So after a little bit of uh, the story we told of Darsh and Mercy's section, we jump back to Artemis, who had been running for a long period of time. And when she wasn't running, she was resting inside the chest of holding, uh, just going further and further away. Uh, Draven would always be there saying, hey, we've got to keep going. They're following us. I don't want to have to kill them. We've got to stay ahead of them. After a while, he actually was like, hey, she came out. He was like, we actually hear where we need to go. Need you to go in this town and get something from a guy. 
which she did. Um, a guy named Red provides her with a large key uh, that's very ornate and decorative. Uh, looks worn, looks very old. And uh, to give the message that he and Draven are even. So he returned, and at that point, uh, Draven had made arrangements for Michael and Dandy to finally catch up to them, which they did on opposite sides of a, 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 deep, a deep yet not wide cliff. Um, Dandy and Michael arrived, and of course were like, hey, give us our friend back, under the assumption she was kidnapped. At which point Artemis says, I was not kidnapped, I came by choice. And Draven says, we need to talk, because we need your help too. <laughs> That's kind of where we left off. So, we're going to be moving on from that today. Um, I will say that this section of the story that we're about to get into... <clears throat> um, had a, a really strong effect on the players who were playing these characters uh, at the time, probably more than anything else I'd ever written, um, which was uh, humbling uh, that it had that kind of effect on people, uh, but also kind of exciting that they enjoyed it that much. Well, we'll say enjoy. <laughs> what everything I did was great for the story. So, all right. Well, again, thank you all for coming by, and we will continue on with this tale as we go. Uh, now, I will say this. Part of this story that we're going into, I don't have some of the notes for. I know what happened, but uh, looking back at it, I think I, at the time, didn't write some of this out. I just did it from what I planned it out so long, I knew it from memory. So uh, some of it won't be as much reading as it has been in the past. Um, some of it will, but some of it's just going to be me kind of explaining what happens. So, all right, let's jump into that. Let me go back here and get that. All right, one second here. Turn to the right page. There we go. So, the characters in this in this group right now, um, assuming they all join together, is Dandy, who's a rogue, Michael, who's a warrior, but with uh, some roguelike combat abilities, Artemis, who's a cleric of healing, and then Draven, whatever he is. Uh, oh, hello, Skycraft. Hey, thanks for coming by. Hello, Midnight. What are you doing? You can't walk on my book. How am I supposed to read stories if you walk on my book? That doesn't make any sense to anybody. Come on back over here. Come on. Turn around. There you go. Sorry. He doesn't know the rules. Um, so, all right. So, we'll take a, uh, start from where we left off. There they are standing on each side of this uh, relatively deep gorge. Uh, Michael Danny's horses. They really don't have a way across here. Um, but, you know, it is. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you, Xbox. I appreciate that. <laughs> so, uh... Oh, yeah, I got you, buddy. I got you. So, Michael, of course, is like, I understand. You need our help with what? You know? What, is this any way to, you know, and it kind of things like, is this any way to, to ask for assistance? Kidnap our friend and have us chase her halfway across the world? And Artemis, definitely you could tell she wants to say more. Um, but Draven had said, like, you need to let me do most of the talking here. Um, not like in a, like a mean way, but it's like, you know, you say the wrong thing, this might not go well. And uh, Draven, you know, begins to kind of explain. He goes, there, there exists a creature, a monster, um, whose evil is beyond compare. And I have fought it in the past to a standstill, um, but I could not defeat it myself. Uh, it has been 
made known to me that this beast came through the, the Great Merge as well and is on this world. And I have been seeking it ever since. Um, it must be destroyed and, and I must be the one to do it. But it has also been made known to me that I cannot do it alone. I will need assistance from others. Um, where I receive that information, I cannot share at this time, but it will be made clear in the future. But I have to have your help. And he points at Michael and Dandy, and then at Artemis. Artemis has already agreed to join me in this. and She has come of her own free will. She could leave if she wants, but she would be going back on the bargain that she made. Um... So she has agreed to come with me. And I cannot force either of you either. Um, that's part of the hook that I'm, I'm trapped in, he says, kind of with a little bit of unhappiness in his voice. You have to assist me of your own choice as well, or nothing that I'm striving for will succeed. And he clearly is unhappy with that fact, but takes it to be that a fact that can't be changed. Michael, who's all monondered out. Remember, he's got his staff of undeadness and his hair is all white and he's got his purple smoke coming out of his eyes. Whenever he's in undead hunting mode and he and Menandra merge, that happens. And uh, he's like, why in the holy hell should we believe anything that you say? We don't know what you're taking us to do, what you're wanting from us. We don't understand your motivations or what this is you wish us to you know, help you fight. Is it something we'll survive from or not? I don't know. And is it something more dangerous than you? Michael's eyes narrow. He goes, I have a hard time believing that. Because Michael, of course, you know, is getting some information from Menandra, although he seems a little confused. Sometimes he looks at Menandra a little like confused-like. And it's because Menandra doesn't exactly know what Draven is. Yes, he has the aura or feel of undead, but not anything that Menandra has ever been experienced with. Menandra is a very powerful artifact, and, and that's never happened before. Oh, hello, Nexus. Thank you for coming by. And Mega. Hey, Mega. Welcome, welcome. So, uh, while this is going on, you know, Menandra only speaks to Michael telepathically, so no one else hears what he says. Uh, but this information is made known later, what, what he heard. Hello, blind PC guy. Good day. So, Draven gives a little bit of the story. <clears throat> he explains that before the merge, he and what he refers to this beast a lot um, came to blows on several occasions uh, because it had taken things very important to him and knew that if he did not finish, you know, did not end this thing, it would continue to do this long term. It's gonna, he doesn't really say forever, but it definitely implies that for a very long time it will continue to do great evil uh, and harm to that which is good and innocent. And he definitely spe specifics out that it is good and innocent that will be the victims if this thing is not destroyed. I've been listening to the backlog. Excellent. Oh, well, cool. Hopefully you're enjoying it. <laughs> you're here, so I'm hoping you enjoy at least a little bit, right? Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um... So again, you know, he, he's explaining, and, and they're like, what is, what is this thing you're looking to fight? And he goes, it is something much like me, but more powerful. 
He goes, at this time, I, I can't tell you more. Um, again, I can only ask that you assist Artemis and I on this endeavor. Because Artemis is not going to leave until it's done. And that is her choice. And he looks at Artemis, and Artemis looks at them and nods like, yeah, that's, that's kind of how it works. I, I made a bargain. I can't go back. Uh, excuse me. Didn't I talk about getting on my book? Come here, chubby boy. Over here. Hey, Buffy. Now, all the kitties are down here. Hello, kitty. Come here. Um, Artemis is like, you know, I have sworn to my lord that I will assist him. Because, again, she's a cleric. Sword of her god. Um, and that is not something I could give up on lightly. I would feel much better having you all with me. And I'm sorry that it came to this. Um, but I, I believe I'm doing the right thing. Dandy's confused as hell. Because Dandy's whole thought this whole time is something bad took Artemis. They find the thing. They whack it. And then they bring her home. Easy peasy. A regular old undead hunt. That's <laughs> what Dandy does. Um, it's her and Michael, of course, are hunters and, and destroyers of undead. That's become their profession. And this puts a kink in it. Like, Wait a minute. I, I don't, I don't, we've never worked with one before. I'm not sure that's how that happens. And Michael had told her previously that, well, he could sense Draven, Menander was having a hard time getting a full snag on it, which means that he's relatively powerful. The more powerful an undead is, usually you can find them from further distance, because she senses that. She can sense their power has a wider range or aura. But getting specific information from that aura, what kind of undead and stuff, is harder because of the nature of how powerful they are. So you can sense them from further away, but don't know what they're walking into as much. And Draven's aura is just overwhelmingly confusing to him. Which is frustrating both Menander and Michael. So <clears throat> Michael uh, steps back a bit and starts speaking to Dandy and says, I don't like this. I The last thing I want is to be in league with this thing. The little hatred in his voice for sure. But at the same time, Artemis has made this bargain. I, 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 I'm in a spot where I am afraid that if we try to end him, we may end up pitted against her. And I definitely don't want to hurt our friend if we can help it. What do you think? Um, Dandy, of course, as we've mentioned, is a kender. They're a little sillier. They're a little funny things of that nature. They... Uh, Overly curious and not too serious, but Michael always asks her opinion on any decision. Uh, a lot of things people just say, okay, Dandy, this is what we're going to do. Even her friends sometimes do that, and Dandy just kind of follows along. She's not the decision maker. But with Michael, he, uh, any major decision, he wants her input and, and a lot, very often asks her to make that decision because he knows that his hatred for Undead and his joining with Menandra... Um, could be tainting his view. He understands that. He's not an idiot. And so knows that Danny's coming from a little bit more of a neutral position. And Danny stops and she thinks about it for a minute. And she's like, well, I don't like it either, but I definitely don't want Artemis going with him alone. And if the thing they're fighting is dangerous and they need our help, maybe it's because we have to protect Artemis. And that's the mindset that the young lady who played Dandy came from that. It goes, maybe we have to be here because we're not really helping him as much as we're protecting Artemis from this thing. Michael stopped and thought about that and nods his head like that could definitely be a part of it. Not knowing all the information Draven has, unfortunately, they're making their decision half-blind. Hey, Buffy. 
oh, you leave Buffy alone or you get spanks. Stop that. Um, they, they're caressing Michael and Artemis, or, or sorry, Draven and Artemis on the other side. Draven's just staying there calm, understanding that, you know, they're having to make this decision. Artemis is definitely all butterflies knotted up in her stomach. She doesn't, she doesn't know what's going to happen. She definitely doesn't want to fight her friends. She doesn't want to be in that spot. But at the same time, because of her oath, she has to help Draven. And she's, she's afraid she's going to get pulled into the middle of this. Um, but after a couple minutes, Michael and Dandy turn back. Uh, and Dandy does the talking. Michael, unhappy in general. But Dandy says, all right, we'll go with you for now. Until we get a feel for a little bit more of what's going on here. But, if at any time we think you're turning on us, or you're even the slightest threat to Artemis, we're going to put you down. And, you know, in Dandy's way of saying things, you know, she's, she's wholeheartedly serious. and Her look on her face is, is so, but it's still you know, coming from a kender, sometimes hard to take serious. Artemis feels a bit of relief, but also nervousness. And Draven nods, and he goes, I accept those terms. They're like, so then they're all just standing here looking across each other the gorge like, okay, well, what do we do now? And Draven says, quarter mile down the, to the north, there's a bridge across. We'll meet there. And he turns and looks at Armis. Armis looks and kind of waves at her friends like, hey, thank you. And they kind of go back into the woods. And Michael and Dandy get back on their horses and start heading up to cross over. So, again, Michael and Draven, of course, are played by myself. They're non-player characters. Uh, Dandy is played by one young lady. Artemis is played by another. The young lady who plays Artemis is also... She plays Darsh. And the young lady who plays Mercy and Dandy are the same person. So, again, I've mentioned this before. Part of the reason I set this up where I've split the party up is that Artemis and Mercy have always been kind of a pair. They're best friends. Very often, it's a split-up gang, Scooby-Doo kind of situation. Those are the two that go together. And Darsh and Dandy have a deep friendship. Darsh is very protective over Dandy, and Dandy looks at him like a big brother. So very often, that's kind of how the party splits. And I wanted to break up that, that dynamic a little bit. I wanted to kind of split up how that worked. Because um, while they've all fought together, rarely has there been any long-term situations where they've been split in this kind of group. So, uh, I thought it went well with the Darsh Mercy stuff. I enjoyed where that's going and where it's still going to go because we're not done yet. No, you can't come over here. Stay there. Um, but I was very, very excited with it in this situation so that, listen, I'm going to put you on the floor if you're going to be a brat. Stop it. Sorry, kidneys are crazy today. Uh, I wanted a time for Artemis and Dandy because Dandy's not the strongest fighter in the group and Artemis is not a fighter at all. So... You know, the, and the concern, the, the, the players express that concern for me. Like, if we're going to fight against bad stuff, these are not the fighters. These are not the, the people that are going to be doing the damage. That's Murder, uh, Artemis, or sorry, Mercy and Darsh. We're the ones that heal them and, you know, do things to help trick. Dandy's done some really cool combat stuff at times, but really it comes down to Darsh and Mercy for most of the combat. And um, assuring them as a DM, I'm like, well, again, if. If, if this Draven character is being told they need you guys specifically, then maybe what they need you for isn't directly combat. Something that's more fitted to your skills. And uh, when Draven says, I'm looking to put an end to something that's much like me, because he did say that, 
at that point both, okay, well, maybe it's another type of undead or another undead like him. So that would explain why they need us, because we're undead hunters. That's what we do. And Michael, against undead, Michael is more effective than Darsh or Mercy. But against anything else, they're, they're just overall better. But his, his skills and abilities and knowledge versus undead make him very, very uh, powerful against that type of, of a creature. Against a regular goblin and orc, he's a guy with a spear. You know, none of the special abilities kick in unless he's fighting undead. It's part of how Menandra works. So, they finally reach the bridge, they cross, and uh, when they do, there's a small camp already set up just a short distance away in the trees. Um, it's, like I said, I, I believe I remember to mention it was early evening when this happened, so it was still dark out. And it got darker ever since. They cross, they tie off their horses, and they come to the fire that's been set. Listen, you're getting on the floor. Come on, down. Stop. Um camp that's already been set up and, and Artemis is there and Draven's there and Danny and Michael come in and kind of settle down there's you know the classic some logs sitting down that have been set there for them to sit on around the fire and they sit and uh, when they do this kind of all stare at each other for a minute Artemis is just crazy nervous but our Merce, Danny comes over gives her a big hug and such and kind of sits next to her instead of next to Michael um, and that's part of course that's her friend but uh Draven very easily recognizes that's putting someone next to Artemis in case something goes wrong. Um, common sense. That's, what, that's one of the things that Dandy and Michael had discussed on their trip here. It's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to try to get close to her. And if something happens, Dandy's job is to get Artemis away from there while Michael tries to either kill or uh, hold off Draven while they escape. Because while they know he's powerful, they don't quite know how powerful he is. They've never fought him or seen him do anything yet. In fact, this is the first time that... Dandy or Michael have seen him at all. Dandy didn't even know he existed. Michael knew something was there. Maybe knows a little bit more than he's let on, but we'll address that a little bit later as well. So they sit there, just kind of staring at each other for a moment. <clears throat> Finally, Draven begins to tell a bit more information about what's happening. Because the creature that we seek is very powerful. Um, I have fought him on several occasions. And at times while I've survived, uh, it was through sheer luck. And that's not something that I think I could do again. Because on this new world, he is more powerful than he was before. I have seeked counsel from someone whose opinion I trust 100%. And that guide has explained to me that there are three items, artifacts, if you will, that I will need to get if I am to have any chance at defeating this monster. The first is not far from here, inside a very, very old temple. Now I got another key. Very, very old underground temple looking thing. But it is locked through magic, and it is just now that I finally have access to the key. But the magic of this place keeps me from entering it. I can't go inside. I will need you three to go in and retrieve the artifact. <clears throat> Dandy asks, well, what is the artifact? And Draven's like, I don't know. I know only that it's there. 
and that I have to have it if I'm to have any chance at defeating this beast. Even with the key, I can't enter, but you three can. And you three are particularly skilled in a way that our chance of success is greatly increased if you go in after it. And Michael goes, increased, but not guaranteed. Draven shrugs. He goes, is anything ever truly guaranteed? No. I can't guarantee that at the end of this we're going to defeat the beast. I only know that the best chance we will have is with these artifacts and if you three are there with me. Without that, I have no hope of succeeding. You're like, well, what do you know about this temple underground thing, Dandy says. I, go, I know that it is dangerous and that inside our it is more of a maze thing else. It's sealed a very long time. He goes, I doubt there's anything living inside. And the way he says living, Michael kind of nods his head because in his head, okay, he's assuming probably undead in there then. It's been closed a long time. There's nobody living in there, right? <clears throat> that would explain why Michael and Dandy would be beneficial in there. Artemis being a cleric of healing, particularly strong against undead as well, with her abilities to turn undead and so on. Um, so in that situation, they could be very beneficial. Um, yes, Midan, I see you, buddy. So even though, you know, they're not happy about it, they could see why they might be the best choice for this situation. He says, if we travel, if you rest here and we travel throughout the night tomorrow, we would arrive mid-evening. Daniel and Michael look a little bit at each other and they're like, you'd prefer we travel at night? And Draven just smiled and said, I really would. They're like, okay. They look at each other again. And you can tell they're, they're, they're looking for information. They're putting pieces together. Okay, this is something that doesn't like to be out in the daytime. Would explain why it seemed to be moving more at night than anything else. Maybe daylight is hurt. One thing that hurts this. It kind of helps put these things into categories. <clears throat> what kind of undead is Draven? All right, well, let's start moving pieces around. He can do this, he can't do this, he can do this, he can't do this. Try to figure out what he is or what maybe he's close to. Because again, down the road, they're always under the assumption they may have to fight him too. Once this is all over, who's to know what Draven's going to do next? <clears throat> so they, they want as much information as they can get. And... As professional undead hunters, again, they have a knowledge of a lot of these different types of undead that they fought. So they're, again, trying to put these things together to figure out what he is. <clears throat> Michael and Dandy agree. Again, stressing, you know, we're going to help you at this point. But if at any time, and Michael always says it this way, if at any time, Dandy Artemis... I believe I already need the slightest danger from you. I'm going to take whatever actions need to be taken. Draven's like, you know, gives that. I understand. Well, though that will not be the, that will not be a concern. He says, he goes. What we're chasing is all I care about. And he says it in the negative way, not like oh, that's all I care about. And it's like, eh, all I care about is finding and killing this thing. <clears throat> and he's very believable when he says that. <clears throat> Sorry <clears throat> for the coughing here. 
uh, talking for 24 hours straight uh, has worn my voice out just a little bit. <laughs> so I apologize if I'm coughing and phlegming here a lot. I'll try to keep it to a minimum. Um, so they're like, okay, cool, whatever, we can do that. And they, they rest. Uh, well, they, they say, Draven says, I will leave. I will see you again in the evening. There's a place here you guys can make camp. Uh, there's, there's nothing dangerous around here. He goes, and I'll be keeping an eye on you. You need not worry about anything accosting you while you rest. Jared and Michael, or Danny and Michael are nodding like, oh, good, good. And in the back of their head, they're like, yeah, we're totally setting up uh, watches. We're not taking any chances, not knowing what you are. Michael, or sorry, Draven stands up, bids them farewell, and moves very quietly, but like not in a hurry, out into the trees until he's gone. <clears throat> Once they, you know, they're hanging out a little bit, and Michael kind of gives the nod that yes, I can feel he's moved off. He's not, he's not close by. He's in fact leaving. Dandy turns to Artemis. Is like, what the hell is going on, Artemis? Again, she does not know this story. And Artemis, you know, having a couple breakdowns throughout it and crying and such, tells Dandy of everything that she's known that's kind of brought them to this point. Talk about the first time that Draven appeared outside the Valley of Sacrifice, which is a uh, you know that big battle area where they fought many many years ago. Years ago, um, talk about Draven appearing in their house in Paxival, and saying that he knew that they would need his help as well. Again, how he keeps knowing these things they don't know, but you know, he keeps saying he has someone telling him. Someone tells I need you. Someone tells where this is. Someone tells me what I need to fight the monster. Somebody tells me you're going to need my help. He hasn't said who this certain person is, and it's very vague around that area. And even when they ask straight out, okay, where are you getting this information? He goes, that's not something I can share at this time. He goes, I can't tell you until I'm told I can tell you. Because I can't risk messing any of this up. These events have to unfold in a specific order and in a specific way for me to have any hope of defeating this thing, and I'm not gambling with that. So until I know I can tell you, I'm only telling you what I know I can tell you. So I'm, I'm, I'm keeping that to myself. Which they're not happy with, but, you know, this point's clear. She says that she agrees, you know, to wear the necklace, the little blood necklace he made, and then they talk about when they're fighting Michael. This is the hardest part of the story for her. Talk about when they were fighting Michael, and he was... Um, under the sway of the death gem. And the only knowledge they had was to free him from that was to kill him. It was Draven that reached out to her at that time and said he could show her a way to save him. But that's when she had to make that deal, that bargain, that when the time came and he needed her, no matter what was going on, where she was, or what was happening, she would immediately leave with him and help him on his quest. In order to save Michael, she agrees to that. He gives her the information that she needs on how to defeat Michael. And then basically being with her and in her mind is lending some of his power, if you will, to uh, help break that sway. Michael's very unhappy about this because in the back of his mind now, he already blames himself for all of the thousands of people who died when he was under the control of the death gem. Uh, the fact that he hunts undead has not removed that guilt. And now, he's starting to get this feeling like, damn it, all this is happening because of me again. Had I not gone to the gym, Artemis would not be under sway of this beast. We would be back home 
helping fight for serenity instead of out here dealing with this. So he gets awfully quiet for a little while after that part comes out. Artemis tells that when she agrees to the deal, the little necklace disappears, the little tattoo shows up, and she shows it to Danny. It's not in an inappropriate position, it's just kind of on her upper chest here. Moves a robe aside to see it. Michael nods, because he's known there's been something there since Menandra could sense it, a link to, sense to a taint of undeath, if you will. Even though she didn't know exactly what it was. And he's known that since he first appeared back north of Serenity and helped them fight at the, uh, the Temple of the Death and Decay that they were there to fight. And then she continues that after that, she didn't hear anything else from him or see Draven again for years other than one time at night appearing in the marketplace in Arduel, uh, where King Christopher is their friend. When she'd been teaching at the temple and she was making her way back to the ship as they were finally getting ready to leave, she saw him in the crowd for just a moment and then he was gone. It's the only time she saw him until... He appeared, and they ran with him, and she left with him. Now, one positive thing here is Artemis has the Chest of Holding, uh, which is definitely going to make a lot of their traveling easier. The Chest of Holding is a very powerful artifact that they have access to. Um, it has been their savior more times than I can count. Um, and inside of it, of course, is Dandy's flying carpet, which they wish they'd had earlier, um, but it's there now, so... They know, you know, worst case scenario, they got the flying carpet. They got two horses here. Um, Michael and Dandy can share one horse and Artemis will take the other. So at least they have some horses moving on, which Artemis is happy with because she's been walking for a couple weeks at this point. And she is tired. <laughs> a lot. Uh, so having the ability to ride a horse is definitely going to be beneficial and help them speed up their travels as well. But the chest of holding opens up a lot of new options for them, um, especially with that flying carpet should they need it. In the back of his head, Michael is constantly looking for ways to get out of this. So if nothing else, Dandy and Artemis hop on a flying carpet and take up into the air if he can hold Draven off long enough. Doesn't think Draven can fly. I've seen no records of that at all. Um, so that would put him in a good spot to at least maybe Dandy and Artemis could start making their way safely to some place where he can't follow them. Although they know he's fast. You can tell that just by the way he acts. He's very smooth and he's very confident in the way that he moves. Um, so Draven definitely has the feeling, given off the aura, that he feels he has complete control. He's not worried about Michael or Dandy at all. The only concern he shows is occasionally when he says, I need you guys to choose to help me. He seems a little concerned they may not agree to do that. Um, but as for whether he feels threatened from any of these three, uh, he, he doesn't give that, that aura at all. Which is also, you know, common about from very powerful undead uh, and not very confidence building for them. So they do rest. Dandy and Michael take watches. Um, they're quite adamant that Artemis rest the entire time. Because, again, she's been moving a lot. She hasn't had a full good day of rest and not moving in a while. And inside the chest of holding is blankets and pillows. All the stuff, to, you know, tent and sleeping bags there. All the stuff to get a relatively... Um, good sleep. It doesn't rain. It's good weather. So I think I believe I remember saying it was like a mid-fall in the area that they're in now. So the leaves have changed colors. Leaves are falling. It's not super cold. A little chilly at night sometimes, but not too bad. There's a good fire there. 
Um, but Danny and Michael will split watch. Uh, they're also doing that because, again, right now they don't know exactly what Sway Draven may have on Artemis. Uh, so Michael and Danny discuss that until they know exactly what's going on there. It might be best that they don't leave Artemis. Not that they're afraid Artemis would, you know, like attack them or do anything crazy in the middle of the night. But they don't want her sneaking off with Draven. You know, that, that's more of their fear at this point. In case all this is a lie and it's just an excuse to get them off his tail. But sure enough, they get through the day without any incidents. The next evening, pretty much as soon as the sun is behind the, the mountains in the distance, there's no more sunlight, Draven steps in. Uh, Michael knows he's coming a little bit earlier, and he's going slow. Uh, so Michael, real, Michael can tell he's letting Michael know. You know, he's not trying to hide it. He's not trying to sneak in. He's coming in much slower than he has to, allowing Michael to know he's coming. So, which I guess you could say is probably a courtesy, if nothing else, which Michael takes that. Okay, he's, he's at least trying to be, uh, you know, friendly in that regard. He's not trying to pop up like Batman on a rooftop. I'm like, huh, where'd you get here? You know, he's quite open with his comings and goings at this point. Never in the past, but until now. Um, so, they uh, get up, they pack up what little stuff they have, put everything in the chest of holding, mount up in the horses, like we said, and uh, Draven tells them the direction that they need to go. Uh, he says that he'll pop in occasionally, but he'll be doing some other things. He'll be, he won't be far, uh, and he'll meet them there. And his directions are very good. Um, and Draven even says, while they were resting, Draven has scouted out. He's found the entrance. He'd found the entrance before, and that's when he found he couldn't get in. So he knows where this place is. He's been there before. He just couldn't get in. And so they start making that direction. And they make, you know, haste. They're not running hardcore, but they're making good speed. They're not just lollygagging around. Um, all three of them at this point want to get this over with so they can go home. Because they're all worried about their friends. By this point, Serenity's had a war. Is Serenity destroyed? Were they successful? Are any of their friends hurt or dead? They don't have any idea what's going on back there. And when asked Draven, Draven goes, that's, that's outside of my abilities. I can't tell you what's going on back there. We're far too far from there for me to have any knowledge of that. And nothing about, and he says this, nothing about, the, um, about Serenity have I been let known. So whether it's alive or dead or your friends, he goes, that's not information that I've been given because it doesn't concern my quest. I'm only given the information I needed to be successful. It's frustrating, but definitely puts out, they don't have any control over that. It also kind of, again, in the back of Michael and Dandy's mind, because they discussed it, I, throughout this adventure, Michael and Dandy have a lot of opportunities where they get to kind of step away and talk, because they're both, hey, we need to keep an eye on Artemis. You know, make sure she's not under some type of magical sway. Make sure she doesn't sneak off with them. They make a lot of plans without Artemis, not because they don't trust her specifically, but they don't trust the situation. And one thing that they discuss a lot is this guy's obviously pretty powerful, but he's listening to whatever or whoever this is that's giving him the advice and knowledge he needs to have. Um, how powerful is that thing? You know, is it another thing like him? Is it some type of, you know, magic item that's telling him this? You know, is it a god? Who knows where Draven's getting his information, but... Draven trusts it implicitly, and for a creature that powerful, the implication is the other thing must be even more powerful. And that's not good news for anybody. Something powerful out there, and we don't know anything about it, but we're somehow being affected by it. I think we all could, we all could uh, understand that. So, they travel, and sure enough, they travel throughout the evening. Uh, Mid-evening, they come to the, the spot they said he, they're given, and it's just a small hill. It's not very high at all. The hill's barely taller than 
you know, six, seven feet. But the door, there's a door built into it. The door is almost laying down. It's just on a slight incline. Um, and the door's grown over. There's leaves and brush and stuff. And you can tell that that's been cleared away. Probably by Draven. It's been cleared away. Um, all the stuff cut around it, so there's little pieces thrown over here and there. But it definitely is old and has been here for a while. Uh, and the doors, well, there are doors, clearly. Um, they're so, there's no crack in there at all. They're so tightly made. Um, Artemis, you know, they're there before Draven, not knowing what else to do. They talk a bit. Michael doesn't sense any undead from this door or anything like that, and doesn't sense anything beyond it. Artemis does cast Detect Magic on the door. Um, but she doesn't find any magic on the door either. Which, again, is kind of odd if it's something he can't go into, Draven. Uh, but there's nothing here magical that would imply that they can't. Apologize for the drink breaks. I'm taking a little bit more of those than normal. Because, <clears throat> again, my throat is a little bit raw from all the talking. <clears throat> I've been flapping my gums a lot the last couple of days. <laughs> so, sure enough, eventually, Michael sends Draven. He'll warn him. He's coming. You know, Draven starts making his way in. And he shows up. And he kind of nods to them. He looks at the door. Everything's how he expected it to be. And out of his pocket, he pulls out the key that Artemis got from him, or for him, from Red. And uh, looking at the door, the door doesn't really have a keyhole, per se. Um, but he takes the key and he taps the door. And when he does, the, the things that were designed on, on the door were uh, not uh, pictures. They're a little bit more runic looking, but nothing super fancy, just swirls and such. And he taps the door, and those start to move. Almost like the door's liquid. It's the first magic thing they see. Considering it didn't detect his magic at all, um, would either mean that this is somehow not magical, B, it wasn't magical until now, or three, it's so magical Artemis couldn't even sense it. None of these good things. But as the things swirl and move, because um, they're just all over, almost like snakes in water, these runes are twisting around. And then in the very center, they kind of swirl into a bit of a circle. And as they do, part of the door almost like liquefies, like Terminator 2 kind of thing, leaving a keyhole. And he puts the keyhole in, or key in the keyhole, turns it, and then steps back. And they hear the doors crack, because they haven't opened in a long time. That, you know, earth and dirt that are around the edges, it's just, they start to open really slowly. Um, you could kind of say this is almost like the classic um, tornado door, you know, like a lot of times in, on farmhouses in the movies, they've got that cellar door on the outside, you throw them up, it's on an angle and you go down the stairs. It's very much like that, reminiscent of design. The doors open up, fold all the way out, any things that were growing over them are just like they're not even there, it just rips right through those and opens the way, and sure enough, there are stairs going down inside. But um, right, like a foot past where the door was, there's something shimmering there and moving, almost like waves of water. You can see through it fine. It doesn't look like water, but it is shimmering and moving, and it's the same angle as the door as you're going down the stairs. Easily, they can tell that's magical. Artemis couldn't sense that, which meant the door itself was either blocking her from sensing magic beyond that, or this is, again, something that's just popped up. Um, but again, Michael senses no undead. He's consistently, Menandra's always looking. If there's an undead anywhere in her range... She tells Michael immediately. and Which can be frustrating for Artemis and Dandy because 
they can't hear this. You know, they always get secondhand information. Menandra speaks to no one but Michael. Whether or not she can speak to someone else, they don't even know that. It's never come up. But Michael was her chosen um, handler, if you will, and uh, so she only speaks to Michael. Because again, I said Menandra is does is prefers to herself as a she. Menandra has that uh, a, a feminine voice. Um, and refers to herself as a she um, when talking to Michael. Per Michael's conversation, he doesn't. As far as they know, he doesn't keep secrets about Menandra. He tells them as much as they know about her. Uh, but even he doesn't know a lot about her creation and so on and so forth. Uh, only knows what what they do together. So Draven pointing at the the stairs, he goes, I can't get through that. So from this point, the three of you are on your own. Is there anything you need from me before you go in there? Just not thing, because like, you know, Michael goes, a little information would be nice. Do you know anything about what's inside? Is there creatures of some kind we're going to have to fight? Are there traps? Um, Draven says, I know that it is large and it is some type of maze. Uh, he goes, that was made known to me. Um, he goes, I don't sense anything living in there. Now, when he says that, Michael and Danny give each other that little look like, oh, there's a check mark. Consents living. It's another check mark on the list of what Draven might be. Constantly listening for that. And then they were smart. The characters were jotting stuff down. When I would speak as, 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 as Draven, they would jot down things I said as, this could be a clue. And they were keeping that list. I says, because I sense nothing living in there either. He doesn't say anything about undead. But they don't really ask either. And he says, I will be out here waiting on you. I will not be far at all. If you are successful, once you return, you will have an artifact. I have no doubt you will know it when you see it. Though I have to admit, I don't know what it is either. Only that we need it. And that's another thing that they do pick up on, which was nice. That they, they uh, I was hoping they would. But once Dandy and Michael agree, it's Draven very quickly goes from a, and I need this to be successful to we need this to be successful. And they picked up on that. At this point, the way Draven talks, it's like, hey, we're a team now. We're, we're working towards a common goal. Um, he doesn't talk like they're serving him or anything like that. It's uh, we need this to be successful. Uh, like totally sold in on you're now part of this quest. I believe at one point they asked, once this thing is defeated, what's to become of us? He's like, you're, go home, do whatever you want. Because once this is done, if you wish, you need never see me again. Michael's like, oh yeah, we're going to wish that. <laughs> so, they start making their way inside. And Dandy starts searching for traps. Again, she's checking a lot in here, which makes sense. Again, if Dandy's specifically needed as part of this, she's a rogue. Maybe that's the skill they needed. They thought of that, and I'm not going to lie, that was a good point. Because sure enough, almost immediately as they walk through that shimmeringness, she finds that several of the stairs, just long stairs, it's going pretty deep, um, are trapped different ways, which she disarms or they bypass. Dandy's very good at finding traps. But there's always a chance she'll fail. There's always a chance you fail. No one ever has a 100% chance of success in Dungeons & Dragons. But also, no one has ever a 100% chance of failure either. It's always a little bit. 
Welcome back, Mystique. I really had much. They just started going in, and I mentioned that Dandy immediately started finding that some of the stairs on the way down have been trapped. She doesn't find any traps in the walls or anything else, and there are... Um, I know. There are places, there are torches in the wall, but they're not lit. And as they're going down, Dandy has a lit torch, and she's lighting them. Um, because while she and Artemis have improvision, Artemis is phenomenal, Dandy's is pretty good, Michael does not... And that's one thing that when he does merge with Menandra, he can see better in the dark, but he can't, it's not infravision he has. It's something very different. Um, everything goes purple. It's not like predator vision, right? but it is. Uh, everything kind of goes with that purple glow, and he can see the shapes of around him, but he doesn't see details. But undead glow really bright. Um, but it's not true infravision, and when he's not merged and fighting specifically, he doesn't semi-merge with Menandra. They merge completely when it's time to fight. And Menandra gives him information the rest of the time. But any abilities he gets only happen when they're in direct combat with, with Undead. So right now he can't see crap. So they're lighting torches on their way down. Um, spilled something. Uh, Alright, so they, uh, they get down there and they work their way down for quite a while. Until they reach room number two. So here I have a map that I drew of this. And I'm going to share it with you guys real quick. Of the type of dungeon. We're not going to be talking in detail of every room. But to give you guys an idea. I also learned that if I turn that light off, you guys can see it a little bit better. Well, I guess we don't. The numbers are all over the place. Okay. But this is a lot of how I do my dungeons. I number the rooms and then on paper I have what's in that room or what they face or what's going on. They don't see any of that, although a lot of times they have graph paper and they may try to approximately map out what they're doing. Um, yeah, I learned that turning that light off means you guys can see that for a minute. I realized that during the stream last night when I was trying to sh show off other things. So uh, that gives me a little bit of ability to share some of that stuff now. Um, I'm going to talk about several of the rooms in particular. I was pretty proud of this dungeon at the time that I made it. Um, uh, the name of this dungeon was Thieves' Gambit because uh, everything in here is designed for more of a thief-like person. Um, they at no time find any undead in here. I want to stress that. There's no undead at all. Um, per se. So they don't find zombies and skeletons and all that kind of stuff. At no point does Michael and Menandra's abilities ever really come into play. And he's super agile and stuff when fighting and such. Um, but he's just a really good warrior the rest of the time. Right? So it's, this really became a dandy dungeon um, very, very quickly. Not only were the uh, what few combat-based things they had to go against, and most of those were automations of some kind. Uh, there was a lot of, like, um, you're in a room, one of the rooms, I'm going to give you an example here, I'm going to read some of the rooms. One of the rooms was of the floor was completely filled with uh, acid, and there's different diocese around the room, and you got to jump and climb and that kind of stuff. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where they had to make it it was like a puzzle, the right dais and such. And some of the diases were trapped. Jump, some of them would swing when you jumped on them. So there was different stuff she had to do and make different ability checks and such um, as they were doing that. Uh, Ethan says, this is like a really good audiobook, but I don't know. <laughs> I appreciate that. It's actually episode 27. So yeah, each one of these things is two and a half to three and a half hours long. So a lot has gone through at this point. I will say, Ethan, for you or anyone else listening, um, 
if you're confused, if you'd like to know more about this, uh, Merged Worlds, which is the name of this, is all the videos of this are available on my YouTube channel, if you ever want to go back and watch the old ones. Uh, but it is available as an audio podcast on both Spotify and iTunes as well. A lot of people prefer to listen to this. I try not to do too much stuff with pictures. Um, I do show some pictures and stuff, though, so a lot of times people like to be able to, to watch the videos. You can do that. Uh, but if you did need to listen to it, oh, give me that belly. If you did want to prefer to listen to it that way as an audio podcast, uh, it is available on both of those resources for you. Just do a search for Merged Worlds, all one word. I got you. All right. Thank you, though. I'm glad that you're a really good audiobook. I like the reference. Um, so one of the... I'm just going to read off some of the rooms in general that they went through. Each room was a puzzle of some kind. And in those rooms, uh, Artemis and Michael were very beneficial coming up and to get the clues and figuring it out. But then a lot of the stuff was searching for traps and doing dexterous type kind of things. There was one room they came into that was all frozen. We walked in the room. It's almost like all ice and snow. And um, in each corner of the room uh, was like a big ice block wall. And there was a shape in each one. And each one was the shape of a different type of animal. And um, in the center of the room was like a an ice... What's a good way to decide it? Like a uh, almost an altar made of ice and snow that comes up out of the ground. And there were four odd-shaped holes in the top of it, because it's flat on the top. Um, and they figured out pretty easily that they, obviously, whatever these shapes are, have a key each. We need to get all four of them. But as they broke their way in to get to it, uh, the ice would melt around it, and they would end up fighting um, a creature that was frozen in there. And all of them were animals. One was a cat, one was a wolf, one was a bear, and one was a gorilla. Um, so it was a fight against something living. It was just kind of like suspended in that situation. Um, and each one of these things had like a, a crystal, glowy crystal of a different color hanging from a chain on its neck. So they had to defeat it in order to get the uh, the chain out or get the, the crystal they need. But once they did, they did all four. The next door would open, they would move on. Uh, there was one room that they went into where in the middle there was almost what you'd call like a, a wishing well, Right? And there's water coming down. But imagine if the wishing well had four sections. Like you go around, it's almost like four sinks, if you will. And water's coming down the middle and pouring down over those. And then around each, each corner of the square room was a much larger looking sink basin with water pouring down into that. Each one of those corners had a different puzzle to it. And if they figured that out, they would get a um, small like valve-like crank with a different shape in the middle. Um, and each one of those in the middle area in the basin, they'd find the thing and they put in there, turning it would stop the water in that section. So once they stopped the water in all four of the, of the, the center, that opened up, the door automatically opened up and they were able to leave. So it's puzzles like that where they have to search. Uh, like I said, in each one of those corners was its own puzzle. Now things like this, um, now that we've unlocked our first stretch goal for Extra Life, things like the actual puzzles and giving the clues and talking about how I came up with them and how they solved them is one of those things that I'll talk a lot about on the, uh, the Behind the Dice uh, mini podcast thing that I'm going to be starting here in the next month or so, talking about more of the technical side of this, as well as you know going over how I DM, how the players uh, uh, and abilities work that I've changed on this world, some of the mechanics behind Merge World that I've gone into a lot of details, um, as well as how to just play D&D in general. Um, but things like this dungeon specifically would be something that I would put a lot more info to explain so you guys could see the different puzzles themselves. Um, so let's see here. Let me grab one of these. 
So this is one of the, uh, this, this is basically how it started for them. Um, old, old stairs go deeper and deeper into the ground. They are covered, uh, they're carved from the rock with great precision, showing nowhere despite the obvious age. Finally, after about 10 minutes, you reach the last stair. 10 feet in front of you is a set of large double doors. They also bear signs of where no carvings or markings of any kind. Uh, so no signs of it. There are no handles nor any obvious mechanisms. There appears no way to open them. Um, so again, they end up using the key uh, that they had, a second one, to open up the second door as well. Uh, with a large crack, the doors separate and slowly slide apart. Once uh, there is an opening about two feet wide, the doors cease their movement. And this is where they go in and they have to start fi figuring out some of these puzzles. So I'm just going to read you a little bit of the intro of what they got in some of these rooms. And then, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, this tunnel twists and turns going deeper into the earth. After five minutes, you reach a large carved archway leading into a large room. Uh, the arch is trapped with a fine wire trap. And I, I always put the traps down ahead of time. I don't just, surprise, I guess I'll put one here. I always know where the traps are. I know what kind of traps they are so that I can explain that. Because Dandy does a search for traps. I'm like, yes, you find a wire trap. Okay, she knows this wire, if triggered, is going to cause another reaction. So she'll ask, do I see any holes where an arrow will come out? Do I see link where gas may come out, something where it may fall, a pit trap in the ground? Um, her chance to uh, disarm it's the same regardless, but it adds a little bit more depth because sometimes the pattern of the traps can give you clues to who made it. Um, and that's something they learned very early on. I like to try to do that. Um, if you're, you know... Depend if, if all the traps are of the same type, they're all magical traps, you're dealing with someone who can cast magic. There's no magical traps, but you know you're, you're it's probably something mortal. So uh, those patterns in the traps and in the puzzles sometimes exist and sometimes don't. Um, I don't do it all the time because I want them to have to try to figure out if this is one that that affects. <clears throat> uh, let's see. In the center of this room is a large stone figure, approximately seven and a half feet tall. The figure is amazingly detailed and appears to be a warrior of some kind. He is wearing armor like you've never seen. Instead of a helm, he wears some type of hat that resembles a shield on his head. So this is actually more of what you'd say a traditional samurai warrior's armor. Not, not a ninja, but the samurai warrior style of, of armor. Um, this was written around the time that I was spending a decent amount of time uh, where I spent time over in, in China and such, and uh, I was really taken in by the art style and stuff that I found, and a lot of that worked its way into the adventures for a little while because um, I loved it. Uh, let's see. Ethan says, are you still writing this story, or are you now reading what you've already wrote? Okay, good question. So right now, uh, I've been writing and running this storyline across multiple player groups uh, for about 30 years. So right now, I'm telling the story that has already been played. When we get to the end of that, I've always known what's going to go next, because I haven't played in a couple years. Um, I'm going to continue the story into the stuff that has not yet been played or written, because I've, I've had what's happening next ready for 10 years. So right now we are doing stuff that has already been played over the last, right now, last 10 years. Um, and once that's the most detailed part of it. And once we're done that, I am going to continue with the story series, uh, telling what was going to happen next, even though I don't play with that group any longer. But thank you for the question. I appreciate that. It is, there's a lot. We're not even halfway through. I'm on episode 27. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff here. Uh, so hopefully people like it. I got regulars come back. So I hope some people like it anyways. <laughs> um, so let's see. Uh, bah, 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 bah. Behind the, the guy on the opposite wall are three levels or three levers. Uh, there's the left and center levers. Um, if they pull the wrong lever, it causes the 
statue to start moving and attack. It's not undead. It is technically a golem. Um, it's an armor golem, and they have to fight that. They get the right one, the correct one, I should say, then um, another door opens up letting them through. Um, there were some markings and such that might lead them to believe which is the right one, uh, but if they chose the wrong one, they had to fight it. In this situation, I see that they did choose the wrong one, based on my notes here, and they did have to fight it. Again, it's very helpful that they, they don't have a lot of combat stuff here, especially with them not fighting undead, uh, but Artemis is quite a bit of uh, uh, a pretty powerful healer at this point, so she was able to keep them all pretty much topped off. They were down in here for several of their days. It was not quick. There were times that they had to find a room and camp there um, before they could carry on, so they were down in here for a while. Uh, let's see. Room three was pressure plate traps with released poison gas. Um, <clears throat> there's one where they have a choice of which direction they want to go. Um, one way, um, seemed like another one of those magical liquid things, but it was, uh, like a really sickly greenish purple it went back and forth between. And, or they could go the other way, which straight up had what I was calling the chompers at the time, which is blades spinning. And like, as soon as they walked in there and the door opens, all the blades were spinning and so on and so forth. And things, hammers were coming down and claws and spears stabbing in and out, flame gusting up. It was one of those classic dungeon, how do I get through it? Um, and, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Dandy, of course, being the most agile, was the only one who had a chance of trying to get through that successfully. Um, and there were 10 separate ability checks that she had to make to get through unscathed. <clears throat> Each one she failed, um, there was a percentage chance it would kill her. Or there was a percentage chance that she would be injured. Um, and then a very small percentage chance that it would knock her into the next trap. And I'd have to re-roll again. Um, granted, the chance of success, or how what the percentage was of each of those, uh, was based on, <clears throat> uh, based on uh, how well she, she rolled the test. So say hypothetically she's doing an agility check, right? Second edition agility check. 20-sided dice. She has to roll that dice and roll under her agility. Right? Her agility, very high, which helps. But the lower she rolls, the more successful she was. So if she rolls low, then there's less chance she's going to successfully get past that, but trigger the next one. You know what I mean? Oh, night, Xbox. Have a good night, man. Um, so things of that nature. There was combo traps where if you make it through one, not successfully enough, it might trigger a trap they don't see. So it was... Spent a lot of time on figuring out the combination. Uh, but she made it through relatively successful. She took a little bit of damage. Um, but what happens when she gets to the end is what mattered. <clears throat> this is what I read to her. You land in a crouched position, resting for a moment. But something seems out of place. As the figure separates from the wall beside you, it draws a long blade. It's dressed all in black like a shadow and moves with lightning speed. So she lands. She's like, oh, I made it. And then immediately something's wrong and this thing starts coming out of the wall. She has to defend. It attacks her. And again, she has to try to dodge. She doesn't have any weapons out at the time. She left her hoop pack back with them because she's trying to get through this. Last thing you want is a staff on your back that might snag something. And her friends were on the other side seeing this thing come out of the wall. They can't help her at all. <clears throat> so she has a chance to parry or dodge. Parrying and dodging is, um, depending on how you play D&D, &D, there are different mechanics for how that works. <clears throat> I have my own, which is, again, something I'll talk about behind the dice, um, that I will, some of these things I'm sure I will 
work into fifth edition when I start running fifth edition as well. Uh, but there are different abilities, skill things that I've designed in my world that um, allow me to challenge people in different ways, but still give them a um, rollable stat to be successful or not based on situations. Um, but he attacks. Um, if she, she successfully dodges and parries his attacks a certain amount of times, or she does any damage to him, he disappears. And that's what happened. Um, he just, she manages to dodge his attacks. And I think at one point she managed to, to dodge, but like get a kick out. Barely hit him, but at that point, he just kind of fades back in the wall and is gone. At no time did Michael find any sense of anything that whatever that was, was undead. <clears throat> Whether it was magical or not, they don't know. Because Dandy can't check that. Um, but... She did get a little bump on it. So it did have a physical form. Uh, no, I'm perfectly fine. I got like six and a half, I want to say five or six and a half hours sleep today. Um, and then I've got to go to bed relatively early tonight because we have doctor's appointments and my wife has an appointment in the morning. So we got a whole mess of stuff <laughs> that we got to do there. Uh, so there's that, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, well, I'm, 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 my throat is tired. My voice is tired from all the talking I've been doing. I'm a little bit raspier than normal, but um, I'm rested. I feel good that way. All right, so let's see here. Buh, 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 buh. There is a lever on the other side once the thing disappears that she can pull that turns off all the traps. Um, and then Michael and Artemis are able to make it through. Uh, let's see. I mean, again, I'm just giving you an idea of what some of these rooms are like. So hopefully this is not too boring. If it is, tell me. We'll, we'll skip ahead. <laughs> um, in this room they got in, the room was completely, uh, the floor was completely a green bubbling acid-like uh, thing. Anything that fell in the acid was destroyed. Um, or if it was a player, they took a percentage damage each time they were in it. Um, this is the room I talked about with the different dioceses that they had to jump to the different things. And some of the dioceses would be trapped. So she jumps on it and it was on a hinge. It would hang. And she'd have to make a check to try to grab onto it. The first time that happened, she became a lot more careful. Um, but... She successfully made it up to the top. There were, f uh, across the pedestals in different sections of the room, there were um, five keystones that she had to get a hold of. So she had to get to each one of these at different heights and uh, jumping up and down. And when she had all five and came back to where they started, right next to the door that they came in was another door placing the five keystones in and opened that door. Um, so she had to go around this very dandy room right there. Uh, let's see. The next room had a trapped door, but it just was a door you, room you could walk through. There was nothing in there. Um, at one point, they had to make camp. When they do, at night, the shadow thing tries to attack again. Um, and says here that they were successful in not being hurt by it. Doesn't tell me which watch it popped out on. So I don't remember that. But they were able to, again, just do the tiniest little bit of damage to it, and it would go away. If they, go, if they score even a successful hit, the thing seemed to flee. Uh, let's see. Then they made it to the third wing, because in the map I showed you, there was like, like in the center, after they completed one wing, two wings, three wings, there were specific wings that they had to go in. Uh, let's see. Uh, so they go down. There's another doorway. They go through that. Stairs finally end. There are two tunnels. One going left and one going right. The left one takes them to a 90 degree turn. So again, a lot of this is just my notes for me that I could remember the map thing. Uh, reach a door. The door has four needle traps in it where they would poison someone. Uh, they, had to, they had to successfully disarm not one but four traps. Um, and then they rested for the second night. And 
on the second night while they're resting, um, Artemis is laying there kind of just resting, thinking about everything. She's lost a lot of heels. Her friends have been hurt several times in this, and she's starting to question, you know, are they doing the right thing in this situation? And she thinks back to an event that happened previously that I had told Artemis about, but nobody else knew. Well, so the character who's Artemis knew about this. And I said that this had approximately happened, but I'd never given the details. And I promised her that she would get more details about that as we went in. So she basically, while she's sleeping there, she has a flashback. This is something I wrote out, so I'm going to read it real quick. Uh, it is late in the evening as Artemis sits in her chapel. So this is obviously back in Serenity. Although far from the forest and elven kingdom in which she was raised, this place had already felt more like, uh, felt more like a home than any place she'd ever been. Uh, she felt at peace here, and it made her sad to know that she must soon leave. So this was very early on when they were having to go out on an adventure, and so on. Um, behind her, Artemis hears the chapel doors open. She recognizes the now familiar steps of his leather boots as he enters and closes the door. She knew he would have come eventually, and knew they had much to discuss. So when this happened, was uh, very early on, this is before the new chapel was built. This is just the, the little chapel, before it was all set up, just being in there. Good evening, Artemis. Artemis turns and watches Michael sit down on the back bench, the furthest from her. In the soft candlelight, his eyes appear purple with a very soft glow. We need to talk, he whispers. Now, when he's merged with Menandra, very often he refers to himself as we, because he's speaking as two people. There's always a bit of an echo in his voice, like he's speaking and something else is speaking almost immediately after. <clears throat> Quite enough that you can hear the echo in the words, but not enough to really get a feel for what the voice sounds like. And that happens anytime he's in merge mode. Um, and they chat a little bit. He knows part of the story. And this is where, this is a flashback to when Michael first comes to her and talks about the Draven situation. Doesn't know Draven's name, doesn't know, only knows that she has somehow made some type of bargain with a creature that is undead, and that its mark is on her, and that she, he can sense she's not undead, but can sense the aura of undead around her. Um, Menander can sense that, what he refers to as taint very much. Um, they talk about it. She tells some more of the story, so he knows a bit of it, but not all of it. She doesn't tell him why they made the bargain, and it was to save his, his life. Um, so he never knew about that until just recently. Um, but he did learn a little bit that she made a bargain with someone and that he was able to help them and that down the road something may... She would have to keep the bargain. Just go into much more detail than that because at the time she didn't know either. So when it all ended, they, they have a little bit of a conversation. We role-played it a little bit. Um, and, and then when that ends, uh, Michael nods a final time and raise, rises to leave. He walks to the door but turns back. We're indebted to you... And this is him talking as him and Nando, not as everybody else. We're indebted to you for our life on multiple occasions. We believe you're a good person who is destined to do wonderful things. But you bear the taint of undeath within you, and what its effect will be or what power it, he has over you, we do not know. We will do anything we can to free you from this scourge, but we consider this demon's life an abomination, and if we can, we will end it. Michael's ash, uh, eyes flash with a brighter purple for just a moment. We consider you a friend, Artemis, and you mean the world to our little dandelion. But if for one moment we believe you have turned or that you become a threat to anyone, uh, though it will break our heart, we will not hesitate to kill you. The light fades from Michael's eye, uh, and then he opens the door and quietly leaves. So they had had a little conversation 
that again, no one, no one else, the characters didn't know. Um, only the young lady who played Artemis role played that. We actually role played that on a day away from D and D, when just her and I hanging out one day. Um, I'd been ready for that, and I'm like, we're going to do this, um, and this is what it's going to start as, right? We're going to role play it, and then I'm going to tell that to everybody else when we get there. Um, so she knew what was kind of happening, what went there, but we did the actual role-playing of that scene during this exact spot in the story. So we had talked about it previously. She knew that the conversation happened, just not the specific details of it. So I'm going to set the book aside here for a minute because during part of this story, some of the pages got lost, and some of this... I. I Back then, I was winging it because I so well knew what was happening in this area that I didn't need to write a bunch of it down, uh, which was great then, but not as good now. <laughs> I still remember the majority of it, but a lot of this I'm going to be doing a little bit more off memory for just the next little bit. Um, but I'm very happy to get to this. And so, There were a few more rooms in such of the dungeon they go through. Um, one of the rooms, uh, which I was most proud of, uh, was another one of those rooms where it was kind of like dioceses where they had to make their way up. But the room, imagine you walk in, and every foot and a half going from floor to ceiling, there was a wire or a string, right? Going room to room. And they were also going in different directions. Um, and while they're very thin and almost impossibly visible, like spiderweb, nothing they had would cut them, and they were sharp enough that they would cut through metal. Um, so Dandy not only had to do this dais thing, she had to find the holes, the spaces where these strings didn't go. Um, and wrong turns would cause a lot of damage. Um, this was meant to be the most challenging room in the place. Um, and she almost didn't succeed. Uh, she took a lot of damage. And the worst part was she was so far away from Artemis, Artemis really couldn't do anything to heal her. Artemis can do some healing at a range. Healing spells in Dungeons and Dragons, majority of them are by touch. Um, so if I put my hands on you, I'm using my spell, I'm healing you. Uh, one alteration that I made in D&D is that I allow a character to throw heals. Right? So you can throw the heal, you can cast the spell at a range, but when you do, it's only at 50% potency. If you're not touching them, it's only half as effective. Um, and the more powerful the spell, the more range you have. Uh, so if you have a really level one heal, you can't throw that that far. Um, and it's only going to do half the healing. So at a certain range, she, she didn't have a lot of spells she could do to help Dandy. And Dandy couldn't come back without running into the problem of hurting herself again. So Dandy had to make her way all the way through this. And uh, when she finally got to the end um, of this final room, this is where she got the artifact. When she pulled the artifact from the... Um, thing that was holding on. It was, was kind of like floating or levitating um, over top of this little dais. Um, when she took it and took it out, the strings just basically, it's almost like, it's like a spider web just dissipated and were gone. What really ran into a problem is halfway through this room, 
that shadow appeared. And it appeared several times. And it wasn't a ninja per se, but it was dressed all in black and was very acrobatic and had cool swords and were fighting her and such. And this, she actually had to fight the thing for a while. All while being on the dais. Now, when she landed on a dais, there was no strength. She could move about that dais perfectly fine. But to leave it, she had to find the hole in the strings. And sometimes it was climbing along walls or hanging from the ceiling. Sometimes it was jumping and trying... Like, imagine there was a holes in the wire. But you had to jump and, like, dive down on an angle to get to the next dais. So there's a lot of different puzzles. A lot of cool. It's very, very uh, ability check heavy, this dungeon. And that's what I wanted. I didn't want it to be... Uh, combo. I wanted to be 50% puzzles, so everybody had something that challenged them, and then 50% dandy being dandy and using the skills that she has that a lot of times she doesn't really get a chance to use in normal D&D. I wanted her to have a chance to develop those a little bit. Uh, but she ends up fighting the thing, um, and at one point she ends up... She did have her hoop back with her this time. She ended up uh, defeating it. It takes a hit, and she literally, like knocks it backwards and it hits the strings and as it does it goes through it it literally just slices it into pieces and it falls and hits the ground and then dissipates but when it falls there's blood and everything it's like it was alive when it hits the ground it fades into the ground as well there was no like liquid it was solid uh but literally the things just sliced it into chunks which i mean she wasn't real happy with. she wasn't trying to do that but at the same time she couldn't let it stop but what she found the artifact itself was a dagger i really like this dagger it's a crystal dagger. So it looks just like a very classic, well-made dagger, but it's completely translucent. Completely see-through. Um, but you pick it up, it's not frail, it's very strong. It's not a glass as much as a crystal, right? Uh, but it is very translucent. It's not invisible translucent, it's distorted. You can see through it, it's, it's got a little bit of an opaque, or opaqueness to it. Um, it's very, very sharp. Very sharp. So with that, they were able to finally leave the dungeon and make their way back out. And once they were, Draven, they seize the dagger, takes, they go to give him the dagger, and he goes to touch it, and he stops himself, and he says, no, Dandy, I think you need to hang on to that for the time being. It's best that you carry that. And he doesn't like it's going to scare him. He's like, mm, I don't want to mess anything up. You should hang on to that. That's the or the feel they got from it. It's not that he, he goes, ooh, it's going to touch me. I'm going to get hurt. It was, a, mm, I don't want to mess up events. You keep that with you until things change. And he's like, okay. She's got all of her daggers and such. And by this point, she used a couple in a fight and lost one. So she, she had an empty sheath. She goes, all right, I put it in that sheath up front. And they're like, you found this cool artifact dagger. He's, Pop it up front where everybody can see it. And then he's like, yep, it's right where I can see it at all times, too. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, good deal. So she had this dagger on the on her belt. She has crisscrossing daggers at this point, part of her undead hunting stuff. Um, so once that's done, they're like, okay, well, what's next? You said there were three artifacts. Where's the next one? And he says, I have no idea. And so now it's time that we go and we find out. Um, we, he goes, this is the information I've been given at this point. It's time that we go find out the next step of this journey, which let them know at that point that he's only getting a certain amount of information as well. He's flying somewhat blind in the end game as well, which did not make them feel very confident. Because up until this point, they're like, okay, this guy knows what's going on. We're going to go do stuff. But then all of a sudden they found, okay, something else could be pulling the strings here. And that made him made them a little bit nervous. Now, as they, they travel for a good couple weeks at this point, I would say, I think it was like seven to nine days, I want to say. They travel uh, continuing west. They're always going west. Sometimes northwest, sometimes southwest, 
or sorry, east. Always northeast or southeast. Uh, but they're always going east in some direction, further away from Serenity. And they are farther east than any of them had ever been. They were when these they all teamed up. Uh, they were, at that point, probably very close to directly north of Kingdom of Firemen. But at this point, they're well east of that. They've never been this far east. So, um, when asked uh, where they're going, he did give them a little information. Um, he goes, at this point, we have to go speak to the tribe. He does not elaborate. But as they travel uh, for a while, and finally at the end of that seven to nine day period, during that time, Draven starts spending more and more time with them, um, helping them food. Hey, here's a deer. Here's some pheasant I got, you know, yada, yada. Help them make camp. He never sleeps there. He always leaves when everybody rests. And they don't see him much during the day at all, unless it's an incredibly well-covered, shaded area in the woods. And even then, he doesn't stay long. Um, but he seems very friendly. You know what I mean? Like he's, It's not like he's, he's... At no point does he show them animosity. He's like, here, here's wood, wood for your fire I found. Here, I've caught this deer. And he hands them a deer. Like holding a deer in the air. It's heavy. Here's a deer I found. Eat this, you know. Um, and on occasion, joins them to eat. That's important. Again, they check that off. He's eating human food. Um, but he does sit, he eats a very little bit, but he does consume uh, some of the foods that they have. Usually meat. Uh, rarely do they see him drink anything, uh, and they don't see him like eating like nuts or breads and things that they would have, dried breads and uh, things of that nature. Hello, Patches. Don't sit on my book, sweetie. I can't see the next part of the story. <laughs> so... Um, at that point, they get a little bit more used to him being around. And at, at some point, they're like, he's like, listen, I know you don't trust me. But you're going to have to if we're going to pull through this. You guys are get, you're staying up half the night to watch. You don't want Artemis to watch. That's fine. You need to let me start taking part of your watch for you. Um, and, you know, they're like, can you? Because they still keep sleeping during the day. That's the big thing. They sleep during the day and they travel at night uh, most of the time. Sometimes they'll get up before it's completely night and they'll start and then all of a sudden he's there when it's dark out. But um, he's like, yes, I can, you won't see me, but I can watch over you. You'll be fine. Um, and so at first they start giving him a little bit of that, even though they're very cautious. But definitely they start getting more rest from that because they're still doing a lot of traveling. Um, and and it, it's definitely beneficial to them rest-wise. The horses also have absolutely no problem with Draven. And that's another uh, key thing that they mark down because a lot of undead animals are spooked of. Uh, but Draven is not affected that way. And more commonly than not, Draven can be found just chatting, chatting and having conversations with Artemis, usually asking more about her. What was your life like beforehand? You know, you know, before the merge, what was your world like? So on and so forth. How did you become a cleric? What was your drive to do that? Doesn't really give much of his own personal story, even when asked, kind of brushes it off. But uh, even asks some stuff of Dandy and Michael. Michael doesn't really answer him that much. Michael does not like talking to him. But, um, Dandy just loves chatting. So she's like, oh, yeah. So I just where I was born and starts telling all these stories. Uh, and then I was watching, like, looking, I'm like, hmm, what are you trying to get from me? Okay, I'm going to finish my story. And it keeps on going. <laughs> so it was pretty funny. Um, so, like I said, that's over the seven to nine days that they traveled. They, at one point, you know, at the end of that time, he's like, okay, we're going to be entering the territory of the tribe at this point. Um, it's important that we not try to be sneaky. They need to see us coming. We don't want them to think that we're a threat. 
And at that point, Draven's traveling with them all the time. A lot of times he's off in the trees or gone, then he's there, and then he's gone, and then he's there. Uh, but at this point, he stays with them, and they're going very casually. Um, until they eventually make it to the home of the Wantaloo. Wantaloo is the name of this tribe. Let me give you a little background on this, because this will be important. Um, these are a group groups of people that I call tribals. Uh, and again, in no way is that meant derogatory in any way. Um, but they are partially um, designed off of Native Americans. You know, that type of aesthetic in the way they dress. Um, they're very, ta they're, they be somewhat tattoo heavy, uh, depending on the tribe. And there are five tribes specifically. Uh, the Wantaloo being the one that they're at now. There's also the Niyogi, the Tarim, the Merit, and the Krent. Uh, each one is something different. Uh, Wantaloo means tribe of the spirits, tribe of the earth, tribe of the woods, tribe of the night, and tribe of the water. There were three other tribes as part of this, and you say, organization that did not come through the merge. <clears throat> Just these five did. Um, and when they arrive at the home of the Wantaloo, um, and the names are going to be odd. They, some may even sound a little bit silly. Uh, they were chosen for specific reasons. But they're there. Um, so they make it there, and when they arrive, most people are just like, oh, hey, Draven's here, and then go about their day. Uh, it's, they're not shocked to see Draven here. Um, they're a little, a little more attention to Artemis and the friends, but Draven doesn't give them any shock. Um, and there are multiple homes and uh, tents and such and things that are, the people live in. Um, this is a permanent home. It's not, it's not a wandering home at all. This, this is a permanent residence. And they're like, this is, you know, they're asking, right? So this is, this is who's been helping you? This is where you're getting your information? She goes, yes. He goes, um, now that we're here, um, you know, this is where we get our information. And a gentleman, let me get it on, uh, who clearly from his bearing and the way he's dressed seems to be the headman or chieftain uh, of this group, shows up and, you know, nods to Draven and they, they legit embrace each other, give a hug, like he's happy to see him kind of thing. Um, and speaks to him in a language that they, can, they don't understand. Draven clearly does and starts speaking back to him. Uh, Draven introduces him as Jamin. Jamin is the uh, chieftain of the Wantaloo. Um, and they're like, oh, okay, must, must be we're getting information. And uh, he, they're talking for a minute, and Damon's nodding like, yes, yes, of course, of course. And then kind of says yes and starts walking away. And Draven says, um, we're going to speak to the Oracle now. She's been expecting us. Now, that's the first time he's used the phrase Oracle, or that it's a she. But... Um, that was a, a big revelation at the time. They're like, oh, an oracle. Okay. Um, if you've been following along with Merge Worlds, you'll know that there have been little times where things pop up. Hints of the future. Visions of what could be or what could not be. Uh, these things have popped up several times. Um, this is the beginning of where things become very prophecy-driven. And you're going to see a lot of that here in the next bit. Um, because it's something I'd planned on for a long time, but was waiting for the right time to work it in. So, they're escorted by the chieftain to uh, what is probably the, the, uh, the, the nicest home in the very center of, of the village, and it's a rounded place. Um, Jamie gets there and opens the door, but he opens it and stands, like, letting them in, but it's clear he has no intention of coming in with them. 
So all of them go into Raven first. So all four of our allies in this group. It's pretty dark inside. There's a fire in the middle. And, uh, sorry, I had a moment. Uh, when they, uh, they get inside, of course, there's a, there's an older lady sitting behind a table. And she's definitely much older than anyone else they saw. And hair is graying and thinning a little bit in the top. She's got it pulled back into, like, two braids. Um, dressed very, you know, conservatively. Um, and the house is a hodgepodge of different things and antlers and stuff. It's you know, all that kind of stuff. You'd see, you'd picture in a classic oracle or wise woman's place, right? And, uh. They uh, they go in there and they, they're they're waiting for Draven because Draven goes in and he nods, she nods back and they start to speak for a minute. Um, and he kind of like points to them and explains who they are. Oh, thank you, Paul. I appreciate that, sir. They kind of points to them and says, you know, and he, they hear her, their their names being spoken. The lady nods at them and they kind of nod back they're like we don't know what's being said, but okay. Hopefully we're not to be fed to somebody, right? Um. <clears throat> Uh, no, I'm sorry, I did not. I slept all day, Paul, and I woke up and then had 30 minutes to get ready for this. So I haven't checked Discord since I woke up yet. I apologize. Uh, not that I can remember, other than to link that I was starting the stream. But I will definitely check it afterwards. I just, I was asleep until all this started today, getting as much rest as I could. Uh, but I will look into it for you, I promise. Um, so, oh, goodness, excuse me. Oh, John, so... They're, everybody's just kind of standing there, standing there looking at each other, and they're like, okay, is she going to tell us something, whatever? Um, when suddenly a younger voice pipes as a door opens from another room. Uh, and a young girl, probably around 12 years old, comes in. And she's very excitedly speaking in that language and comes rushing over and jumps up into Draven's arms and to get him a big hug and he kneels down some as well in order to remember, and he gives a big hug as well, and he and he starts speaking to her, and they can tell right off the bat he's speaking to her not as she's a child, but very reverently. And uh, they're like, okay. And the little girl turns to them, and in perfect commons, like, welcome. I've been expecting you. I'm so glad you were able to come. And they're like, oh well. Thank you very much. And they had a little bit of a moment of uh, role-playing there, who they are. And she introduces herself as Shastra. Um, or Shastra, depending on how you pronounce it. Shastra uh, is the oracle. I have a cat that's going crazy, knocking everything over. Give me one quick second. Hang on a second. One second. You, stop messing with stuff. Stay off my snacks. Little goober was trying to get my Oreo cookies. Okay, I'm back. <laughs> so, and this is where they learn a little bit about how the uh, tribals and stuff work. Um, so basically, in every generation, um, in every generation, a prophet is born. Um, and they never know which tribe it's going to be born into. Um, it's always a female, um, and whichever tribe the prophet is born into, uh, is pretty much basically becomes the head tribe, if you will, way to look at that. So, um, 
that chieftain of that tribe is speaks for the others. Okay, we're doing this, we're doing that. And it just kind of falls in because that chieftain has the air, uh, the ear of the prophet, right? The prophet is guiding that person. It's believed that that chieftain is going to know the right choices to make. And usually that is the case. Uh, that, that chieftain is being guided by the prophet. Even though he's the chieftain, uh, he still makes all decisions. Um, it's explained that when the prophet gives their prophecies, they're always open-ended. So you never know exactly what to do, only that as a guide to, to try to, okay, I'm making a decision. If I look at it this way or that way, how can I take that? Um, and the way that each prophet uses their gift can differ from person to person. Some people see visions. Some people may be just talking and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, what happened? Like, oh, for five minutes you've been giving us prophecies and they have no memory of it. Um, sometimes, you know, throwing the bones, I'm reading the bones. There's lots of different ways. Um, but Shasta's grift, uh, gift is that she draws. Um, and so one thing you'll see all over, they see all over the place are drawings that would look like almost like, you know, child drawing. Pretty, pretty well drawing, but still drawing with, you know, basic colors, crayons, things of that nature. Um, and so she draws what she sees, her visions, and then the wise woman uh, who helped raise her and the chieftain and such, they'll look at those and then try to interpret those drawings and use that as a guidance of what needs to be done. Um... Draven explains that when the merge first happened, he didn't know what was going on, but he found himself here and in a very precarious situation where he may die um, until several members of the Wantalu arrived, had been sent by the prophet to guide him here um, and to help him live to get here. Once he got here, um, the prophet explained that, you know, or look at the drawing stuff, because she does have some knowledge of her prophecies, but she explained that she saw him fighting the creature beast thing, and that he would never defeat it on his own. That to do that, he would need allies and certain artifacts, and that without them, there was zero chance of success. And that um, she was to help guide him towards the things that he needed to bring an end to this great evil. Um... Draven mentions just briefly that because of something in his own past, he um, has had a very long... He understands the importance of prophecy and how powerful that can be. Um, and because of his own past, felt, well, this totally makes sense. Because of what I've been through in the past, a prophet is now reaching out to me? I would expect that. Okay, cool. So the, it's Shastra and her drawings and the prophecies, how... They're interpreted by both her and everyone else that have been giving Draven the information and leading him to stuff and has said, knew about Artemis and Dandy and Michael and their allies. I always refer to them as, as the allies because them, they're not important. They're not part of the, this story that Shastra is doing. You know, her prophecies are leading with this storyline. She knows they have allies, but it's Dandy, Michael, and Artemis that she's concerned with. Um, and even Draven didn't know at the time that when he was helping get Artemis's agreement by his helping Michael, did not realize that helping Michael was helping his cause as well. He needed Michael. He needed to help get Michael set on that path to get Menandra, because that's what they were going to need. And he says that now. He goes, I didn't know that, but now I do. I knew that what you are now, what you've become in your, your basic storyline, if you will, um, that was all part of this as well. Even though I didn't know it, 
I didn't know that. I was setting you on a path. That this is all guided by prophecy. All of this is the way it was supposed to happen. Some of it I didn't even realize. So, uh, Dandy thinks that's pretty cool, a prophet. And she likes the drawing, and she wants to color with her because she thinks that'd be very cool. Artemis, um, just through the nature of being a cleric and the knowledge of God speaking through people and such, very, very accepting of this concept. Okay, pro prophecy. In her mind, she thinks... It must be some god specifically, is what would be giving prophecy, right? It has to come from some type of higher power. But nothing that she can see or from talking over this area, does she ever narrow down which god it might be that's giving these prophecies to the, this tribe and, and this time Shastra. Um, and Michael doesn't like it at all. Michael does not like the concept. He already knows his gods out there, and he knows he's had to deal with them and help them with the whole setting the world right in the merge. He knows they're out there. And he knows that they interfere with mortals' lives. But he doesn't like the concept that his life has already been chosen by someone. What's That he's already walking a path that was set before him that wasn't of his own choice. So he's, he's a little less happy or accepting of, of what he's hearing here um, by the show. All right, Ethan. Thank you for coming by. Hopefully we'll see you again. Uh, thanks for listening in. Um... But he's like, you know, I want to, uh, he's like, I'm not, I, I mean, I'm going to help. We're, we're on this quest, but I'm not real happy with that concept. I'm not sure I buy all of it. I'm glad you had a good time, Ethan. Thank you. Um, so. She asks to see the dagger. She knows it's a dagger. She didn't tell Draven it was a dagger. But now that he has the dagger, she's like, I'd like to see the dagger. Dandy gives it over and she looks at it and she says yes. And she she uh, brings out a drawing that she made for Draven. And it has a silhouette of Dandy. Um, and it shows like the sun. And Dandy's holding a knife. and It's like the sun is on the end of the knife or on the end of a sword. And they're a little confused by that. And Shastra smiles, and she speaks some words that sound like magic. I mean, it's, you know, a spell being cast has a certain sound to it. I'm talking to you, and I cast a spell on you. You know I'm casting a spell more often than not, you know, in a D&D &D world. You know, not always, but more often than not, uh, you, there's that aura, that feel that magic is being, being cast. Um, and she says the words, and it has the feel of that, but without the spell. Like, she's giving them the words of a spell, but she's not casting it. Um, and Draven nods like he understands it. And Michael and Artemis are like, okay, well, thanks for that. But Dandy understood everything that she said. And, and she's like, well, that's pretty cool. And they're like, what's pretty cool? And they're like, what she just said. They're like, I have no idea what she just said. And they're like, really? She said this. And, and she, Dandy walks over to the fire and takes the, the dagger and puts it in the dagger, in the fire. Now, her hand is partly in the fire, but she's not, that doesn't look like she's taking any, Michael about to step in to realize that she's not getting burned. And then she speaks some words again and pulls it out. And now the dagger um, blade is glowing orange and there are flames on it. And she smiles, Draven smiles, Shasta smiles, Artemis and Michael are confused. And then she takes it, puts it in her sheath, and it doesn't burn her. It just goes right into the sheath. And she says that the dagger, when placed in sight, when, when, when basically connected to something, anything, water, fire, and those words are spoken, it takes on, it basically fills the blade with that item, 
and gives that ability. Normally, it's just a sharp dagger, but now it's a dagger of flame. It'll burn. It can. She can take it out, use it as a torch. She can take it out and just set it on wood, start a fire. It literally has burn, but it'll never burn the person holding it. And it protects you from that as well. Fire will not hurt her while she has the... Just in her sheath doesn't work. It's got to be in her hand, but she won't burn. At the same time, you could do it with water. What good is water? You'd be surprised. It always is going to give the blade and the dagger special abilities based on what it takes on. It will not take on physical. That's important. You're not going to stick it in the dirt or stab a rock. Um, but fire, moonlight, sunlight... Um, water, oil, whatever, orange juice. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Something that's more liquid or of that nature. Uh, when placing that, it will take on that and it will give it an ability. Acid, had they stuck it in that acid room, it'd be an acid dagger. Give an example. So it has those type of abilities. And right now it's a flame one. She just kind of pokes it in and that's kind of what the drawing was. That was her holding a dagger of flame. And Dandy knows the words. She knows the command words to do that. Michael and Artemis, no idea. But Draven understood as well. Because the words that were spoken were part of the tribal language. Which would imply that the dagger itself may have, at least at some point, been created or been used by this group of people. Or someone like them. Hello, Patches. Let me move the mouse so you don't mess with stuff. Um, and she said, you all have traveled very, very far. And I know that you're wanting to get home. And she's pointing to you know, Artemis. And I know that there's still much more journey ahead of you. Um, and you need to know where the next artifact is. Because she's the one that said there's three artifacts. She's known that. She says, you'll stay with us for a couple of days. Spend time here with the tribe. Um, and I will find that information for you. And she smiles, which Draven's like, okay, cool. Because you understand that when she's actively seeking for information, she can get it. But Shostra, again, being a child, she doesn't ask for everything. She's like, okay, where are we going next? And she'll get that inspiration and she'll do her drawing. And even she doesn't know what she's drawing until it's done kind of a thing. <clears throat> and it doesn't like, I get to the end. It's not like she's making a phone call. Tell me what's next. It could be a bit before she's inspired to do it. But she wants some information. She seeks it. Um, there's a chance that eventually she's going to get it. Although sometimes she gets hits with that and I just got to draw and it's something speaking through her. It's not always a request thing. Sometimes it's just given. And Draven's like, okay. He goes, I understand sometimes there's a space. In terms of them, because sometimes there is time between her visions. So um, we'll do what she says and we will stay here. And they're like, really? And they're like, yeah, we're going to stay here. Um, he goes, um, I'll, he goes, he, he goes, speaks, uh, he goes, he goes out and says, stay here. And Shastra chats with him a little bit and asks him questions and such. And then he comes back and he says, I spoke to, what was his name again? Uh, Jamin, um, uh, a home will be made for the three of you to share. Um, and then the three of you will, will stay in there until such time as we are given information to leave. Um, and they're like, okay, well, where are you going to stay? He's like, I've already got a house here. And like, what? And Draven has his own tent here. It's his little, I wouldn't say teepee, but he's got his own, you know, he's got his own tent structure that, that he lives in when he's here. That has been given to him. And again, the merge was years ago. He's been hanging out with these guys since the merge. They know him. Um, and I'm sure in the, in the middle times, you know, in the times in between him going out and doing stuff while he's waiting for the next prophecy, he hangs out with them. Helps hunt, helps defend, helps whatever the case is. He's viewed as an ally of the tribe. Because, you know, Shastra said he was cool, and that's all that they needed to hear. 
Um, so over the next few days, they uh, spend some time there and they get to chatting to people and they get to talking to them. Um, and most of them don't speak any common at all, but some of them do. Some of them have been learning it from Draven. Uh, some of them may have had that knowledge because they've dealt with outsiders in the past or, or even currently. Because, you know, there's always somebody on your borders, right? And this is where they learn about the other tribes. Draven teaches them a lot of that. They, pick, they get to learn a few words of what well, I basically just call the tribal language. All the tribes speak the same language, although they may have different accents and some special words for their thing. Um, and so they, they, they get to pick up a few words to the point where there are certain people they can talk to, certain people that will come in and be like, you hungry? And they're like, yes, and I bring food. And they go bring food. You know, it's just, the, the, just enough to get the basic conversation out. Uh, they spend a lot of times just hanging out themselves. And for Artemis and Dandy and Michael, I mean, they, they spent most of their lives traveling around at this point. They're like, okay, well, at least we've got a place to rest. Very comfortable. There are very, um, very, uh, beds are, are on the ground per se, but there is like a, a, a bedding there that's very comfortable. They get good sleeps. Uh, there's fire, plenty of good things to eat. Um, uh, very meat-based diet uh, with, you know, fruits and, or not fruits, but like nuts, berries, things like that. Not a lot of fruits, I was going to say, but there are vegetables. Uh, this, where they live in this area, it's not like a big fruit area. Berries and such, like I said, but nothing like oranges or anything like that. Um, and they're told that in a couple of days, uh, there is going to be a big celebration um, for the uh, official turnover to fall. Like I said, it felt like a fall area. And you know how fall is, even where you live, it's possible that fall kicks in before the actual first day of fall, you know? It'll be hot as hell before the actual official day of summer. Um, so the official turning of the season uh, celebration is coming up because um, they view the seasons as entities. And as one passes, the next steps in to, to kind of uh, embrace the world with, with its magic. And that's why the world changes to a different thing. It's part of their, their thing. They're, they have the same gods as everyone else does, majority they don't have all the gods because not everybody has all the gods if, if you understand where i'm coming from there, feel free to hit me with that if you have if that doesn't make sense but they're like yeah we know about these six gods these six gods have affected us for generations and they're six of the gods maybe too good too neutral too but they're not all of them they don't live near an ocean the god of the oceans really doesn't have anything to do with them they don't have a name for that god they've never had to have a name for that god that god has not been a part of their lives um but several of the gods do um, and so uh, they definitely know God of healing. There's a there's a, a healing people here, like what you could call almost like um, they're healers, but without the magic. There's nobody with healing magic. All right, that's important. Nobody has healing magic. There are no healers or clerics in this entire all the tribes and race of them. The only person with any type of magic at all. There's no wizards. The only person any type of ma with magic is just the prophet. In this situation, in this generation, it is Shastra. And when a prophet dies, um, the next prophet is born within a year. So anyone alive will not be the prophet when the prophet dies. It doesn't just transfer to someone. Someone will be born with that. And there are certain signs and markings. They'll know who it is when they're born, but they don't know ahead of time. Um, and way back, generations back, they learned that there were times where tribes uh, were warring uh, and they fought each other. Um, and many times that was over the prophets themselves. Oh, the prophet's born to that tribe? Well, if we kill that person who's about to have the baby, then it'll bounce to someone else, and that's how they tried to control that until a great battle happened, and um, the prophet themselves spoke. And at this time, it was the last male prophet. 
Um, the, the, and this was a couple hundred years ago at this point. Probably close to a thousand years ago if I look at the generation. Yeah, about a thousand years ago. Because uh, these are humans, by the way, so they live human lifespans. Uh, their lifespans normally around 60 to 70 on average, although there's exceptions to that. Um, but the last male prophet, who was Wantaloo, that was his name, who this tribe took his name for, um, was the last male prophet and said that uh, the wars would come to an end and, and that at this, and basically said from this point on, each prophet born, will that, that's how that's going to be. If a prophet's life is taken by another tribe or something like that, that tribe would be cursed to no longer have a prophet born to them. Which is the worst thing you could do. These are people who've spent generations and generations worshipping, not worshipping per se, but being guided by this and not knowing you know, how to live without it. Um, and he says that, you know, from this point on, that um, too long have the, have the prophets been, uh, have been used as a way of battle, and that from this point on, prophets would be a guiding, nurturing light to help protect and help the tribes grow. And that's when, uh, literally, he took his own life. And then within that, the next one was born, and it was the first female prophet. It's been all female prophets since. Again, more nurturing, loving, not trying to overly control. Was that. Um, so Shastra is the most recent one. And no tribe wants to run the gambit of never having a prophet again. They would rather be getting there be a prophet somewhere, even if they don't like the other tribe. And there sometimes can still be disagreements and maybe even the odd battle and such. Um, but never for dominance. No one tries to kidnap the prophet. No one tries to hurt the prophet. Anybody tries to threaten the prophet, immediately everything gets set aside and they are 100% allies and all the tribes will work together against any force. They do not play with that. That's not, that's not good JoJo. So no, no prophet has died from unnatural means in a long, long time. Although prophets don't normally live as long. Prophets have a younger lifespan. They'll normally die sometime in their 30s or 40s. Normally not disease. Normally they don't see it coming. It's just one day the prophet does not waken kind of a thing. It's, it's a passing. And, and sometimes there are signs that the prophet will know it's coming. And they will set things in motion. Maybe they'll say it's coming. Maybe they won't. Uh, but usually when it does happen, there'll be something left from the prophet saying, and now the next one will become so on and so forth. And sometimes it's the same tribe. Maybe it's a different tribe. I have a lot of information on the tribals. Um, because I had, uh, I had a big plan to eventually uh, make them... Well, I should say, they're going to, they're going to pop up again in the story down in the way in the future. Uh, but I have a lot of history on where they're from. All the tribes, the, again, were the names of brothers of the prophet, who they were trying to destroy the prophet. That's why the tribes have the names they have. I mentioned that earlier. There's special reasons why they have these names. Um, it's all part of a, that time period, and, and the brothers realized that their wars were tearing everything apart, um, and that was going to end the line of prophets if they didn't stop. Um, and that's when the, the, their brother, they're jealous because their brother was the prophet. All that kind of stuff. There's a, it's a big storyline. You're interested in it, I'll uh, find a way to tell you about it later. Maybe more on the, the behind-the-scenes D&D stuff, some more of the history of some of these things. But I, I, was, I was very into this section of the game. Um, so they hang out, and they're like, okay, cool. And they get to, you know, hang with people, and people are hanging decorations. And it's all like, you know, fall decorations, wreaths and stuff, and corn, and all the things that you'd expect. Um, and 
they're, some things are brought to them and they get to decorate their little house they're staying in and Dandy and Artemis think that's really cool. Like, oh, these are really pretty. And they start to think, he's like, wow, if I ever had a house, I would like some of these decorations. Artemis is like, oh, Kelvin would love this. I'll tell him about these decorations. This would be great for the temple at one point. And Michael's sitting there like, I just want this over. <laughs> what are we going to do? We're just hanging out here having a party. Well, come on. And they don't see Draven as much, uh, but they see Draven very much interacting and mingling with the tribe. And the tribe itself is a 24-hour tribe. And I say that there's always somebody, you know, some people are up at day, sometimes they're up at night, some people hunt at night, some people hunt during the day. There's cooking going on at all times. Um, there's, a, there's a couple hundred of them here uh, for this tribe specifically. It's not massive, but it's, it's two or three hundred people living in this tribe. Um, and there's always some type of thing. And Draven, of course, you always see him more at night and evening kind of thing, uh, or, or very early in the morning. Um, but uh, he is very, like, just hanging out. He's one of the people. They know that. Um, and he still dresses in his classic way, with the white hair, he's got white hair, and his, his leathers and stuff, but they see that very often he's not carrying his weapons. He trusts these people completely. His swords are in his little house, and he has this little tent thing on the end of town. They, they've seen it. They've never been in it, but that's his personal space. It's on the very edge of town. He asked for that at the beginning because he didn't know them yet, right? Like, hey, we've made a place for you. It's right here. And he's like, okay, good. I don't know who the hell you people are. But very quickly became ingrained in the culture. Um, so there's that. So they were there, like I said, a couple of days. We're I think it was four or five days. And it was the night of the celebration. And there was a big banquet. There was going to be dancing and such and singing and all that kind of stuff. And there's a big bonfire and everybody's hanging out. And, and of course, they're invited and they're all hanging out. And there's lots of people eating and stuff. Shastra's not there. Neither is the the older lady, and then they, you rarely see them outside of their hut. Shastra stays inside, and they visit Shastra a couple times, and once or twice Shastra's come just to see their house and how they're doing, but um, Shastra does not wander around very much, but when she does, everybody stops and waves and nods and so on, and they're very, very give hugs, and the other kids are, you know, she doesn't play with the other kids that are running around, but they, everybody just definitely, this is someone that's important uh, on a pedestal kind of thing. So it's the night of the... Uh, the party, if we will. Um, and they're uh, having a good time. They're having food. And everybody's kind of sitting at some uh, tables and such that have been set out. They're not really in a pattern. There's tables that you can sit down and eat. And, um, Mercy, Art oh, sorry. Dandy, Artemis, and uh, Michael are seated at one. And even Michael has to admit he's having a good time. Everybody's been really friendly. He doesn't dislike any of this. He's just nervous about the situation. He doesn't like not knowing what's going on. Um, but he's very, you know... Uh, accepting of the the uh, the friendliness, he, he believes it's genuine. Because there's anybody undead here except for Draven. <laughs> um, and in the back of his head, there's a little bit of uh, "I'm alive because of these people." Shastra and such is what you know send all this to happen. I'm alive because of this. Technically, they're they're what broke the hold of the Death Gem. So he feels even a little bit indebted to some of them, and he doesn't like that. Michael's a kind of a no-nonsense guy, except for Dandy. He loves Dandy's nonsense. But everybody else is not so much. Um, but everybody's having a good time, so on and so forth. Um, and they're just eating, and they're chatting with a couple of the ladies that they know who do know some English, and they've been helping them, and they've been learning their words. I talked about that. Um, everything, And then all the music just stops. And they're like, okay, cool. And they're looking around, and they see that everybody's facing up to where the uh, chieftain is sitting at his table with his wife and his kids. Um... Got wife and kids, and they look up there and they see that Shastra and the older lady have come in, and everybody's real quiet. And they knew they were going to show up. You know, it's a special festival. The the prophet's already. It's very common for the for the prophet to say, "Okay, as this we walk into this 
new season, I see goodness. I see uh, growth. I see difficulty. We need to be prepared. You know, just an overall aura of in this next season, things will be bountiful. Things will be frugal. Like we need, okay, you know, this will be a tough season. We'll have to work hard to make through it together. And that's not necessarily considered a bad thing. It's like, oh, good, we're giving, we're getting a heads up. All right, we need to start stockpiling some food. We need to make sure maybe it's going to be a rough winter, right? Things that are, that are going to let know the, the 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 harvest will be bountiful. Sweet, lots of food coming in. We don't have to worry about food as a problem. Just kind of those hints from the, the prophet will speak at special events and holidays, kind of thing, uh, especially if the seasons change. And. She sits up there at the chieftain's table. She sits next to the chieftain, actually. It's to show that she's the, the hand of the chieftain, the, the, the advisor. And the old lady sits down a little bit. And, and they're eating and such, and she waves at them a little bit, and they wave at her. Dandy, of course, all, all giddy to, to see Shaster. Um, and then after a little while, after Shaster's had a little bit to eat, picks at her food, she leans in and speaks to the chieftain, and the chieftain gets a little puzzled look, and, and he stands and he claps his hands a little bit and gets attention, and everybody goes quiet. Draven has come over and had a seat next to Artemis at this point, which again never makes Michael happy. Um, and the chieftain starts to speak, and as he does, Draven starts uh, interpreting it for our characters. He says that um, the prophet um, would like to speak. Everybody's like, okay, cool. And Shasta rises and she begins to speak. Uh, again, with Draven interpreting it, sometimes delayed a little bit, but interpreting it. Um, and Shasta rises and she says, This next season will be the most difficult season this tribe will ever face. And people are like, oh God, that's, that's not good news. That there is a darkness on the horizon that threatens all of the tribes. It's the first time they've got news like this in a while. You can tell people are starting to grumble. They're not real happy about that. He goes, but in the darkness, there is always light. And that is why we've been brought Draven and his friends. Everybody looks over at Draven and his friends. And Draven's friends not happy to be looked at. Like, okay. They seek a way to defeat the darkness that even now grows closer. But they cannot do this alone. It is through the help of the strength of the tribes that we are successful. You're like, okay. He goes, to the south, there is a mountain. And in this mountain, there is a cave. This cave of winds is strong, and only the chosen can enter. We all know this cave. And people are nodding like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll wear that. But Draven and his allies do not. We must take him there. For it is only through achieving and retrieving that which lies in the cave is there any hope that the tribes to come out of the darkness. Like, oh, wow, it's serious business. Okay. Six must go. Six members of the tribe will escort Draven and his friends to this place and see that they are successful and then bring them home. Everybody's like, ooh, okay. They're like, all right, do we get to pick? <laughs> and that's not the case. 
Shasta speaks a name of who will lead the expedition. And let me grab his name here. Hang on, I've lost it. One second. Oh, here we go. Uh, bah, 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 bah. One second, I'm grabbing it. There it is. Jalen. Jalen will lead. Now, Jalen is Jamin's brother, the brother of the chieftain. Jalen Jalen stands. Says, I, he goes, I, I accept this vision. You know, it's kind of the, whenever they're sent on a quest, that's, you, you, you always have the choice to say no. He stands, says, I, I accept this vision. And everyone cheers and such. Like, excellent, good sauce. And then she names another warrior, Brone. Brone stands up. Brone's a big guy. He's a real big dude. And he's got lots of tats on him. He's clearly one of the big warriors of the group. He says, I accept this vision. Everyone applauds and so on and so forth. Oh, bye, Nexus. Have a good night. <laughs> Shoster calls out the third name, Verx. Verx stands. Verx is a bit older than everyone else. He's definitely a warrior as well. He's not ancient by means, but he's definitely a little bit older. Um, and Oh, you're saying bye. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, Verx is uh, definitely uh, a, a very experienced tracker um, and woodsman. Draven, Draven's saying this to them. He's explaining who some of these people are as, as their names are being called. And he rises, and again, he, he's, so he's, he's wearing, wearing much nature. He looks more like a, 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 a ranger type kind of per character. And he rises, goes, I accept this vision. Everyone cheers and applauds. And Draven and everybody, and, and Danny's like, oh, cool, more friends, hey. And Michael's like, okay, great. What does this mean, you know? The fourth name is read, and that is Mael. Mael stands. Mael is, again, looks superior, just a regular guy. You know, nothing, he's just, he's like, he said, he's a, he's a new father. Um, and he's uh, an up-and-comer in the Warriors. He's, he's, very, he's a skilled warrior, but there's no specific skills. Draven whispers that why he'd be chosen, but he must be coming. Myall accepts the vision. Fifth name is Triaz. Triaz is spoken. Triaz stands up. Triaz is a... Is a uh, um, oh, what's, how do I describe it? Triaz is... Much more like a rogue, much like Danny. Very thin, nimble, a little bit smaller than everybody else. Um, pretty decent warrior in his own right. All of these guys are decent warriors. None of them are bad warriors. Some of them, like Brone, are really good warriors. Um, and Jalen is more of, like I said, a strategic leader type. Um, he would take over if something happened to his brother, but there's no drama there. There's none of this, I want to kill my brother stuff. No, that's fine. Um, it's just, that's how it is. Hello, Callum. Thank you for coming by. The five names, everybody's waiting for the sixth one. There's a bit of a hesitation there. And she says the name Tevin. Yellow patches, it's not time for treats yet. And a hush comes over the crowd. Normally when the other names are murmuring, oh, that makes sense, yeah, he's really good. Oh, that person, okay, cool. They say Tevin, and everybody goes quiet. Even Draven doesn't really... He looks confused. And Artemis leans in and goes, Who's Tevin? And they don't have to look far because Draven and everybody turn their head and they look across the way is kind of at the room. And what they see 
several people who are helping feed the group, right? Providing food, bringing foods to the table. These type of jobs are usually done by the young. And standing, holding some trays of dishes like he was gathering up off of the tables is a 12-year-old boy. Has not yet even gone through his naming ceremony. Naming ceremony is a special thing when you become an adult. That's normally when you get your last name. And your last name is normally more given to you by a prophet or by the chieftain, depending on the situation. And that's where, like, again, with Native American type things, you're, the last name is much of what you are. You know what I mean? It's, you know, if you go back to your stands with a fist, you know, that kind of stuff from uh, the, the, stop fighting on my desk. Stop it. Um, that type of name, is, that's where you normally get their last name. So Tevin something or other, you know, Brone something or other, you know. Brone Bearfist, I think that was his name, because uh, he was there to be attacked by a bear, and he literally had to—he literally beat it with his fist, because he's such a big dude. And so he's—he was Brone Bearfist is the name that he was given. Uh, what he's saying, so that—that—that's how you know they get their their kind of last name. Tevin hasn't even had his ceremony yet; he's too young. Um, and the chieftain, I mean, in a rare move, like turns to the, it's like, are, are we sure? Like that, Tevin. I think it finally popped back on. We good now? Everybody hear me again? Okay. Yeah, that was on YouTube's end for some reason. So I apologize for that. Uh, I guess I should say, what was the last thing that you heard me say before that? Uh, so I make sure I don't miss anything. What was the last thing I said that you guys heard? If I may. <laughs> Anybody wouldn't mind throwing that in the chat. What was the last thing I did? So so I was talking some deep, meaningful things there to myself. <laughs> Last name thing. Okay, good. We're not too far. So again, uh, the uh, in a rare, rare situation, uh, the uh... are we back? No, it still looks paused. Hmm. It's back again? Are you sure? On my screen, it's not moving. I, I was checking to see. I'm not seeing anything's been announced that YouTube's down. Okay, you can see me. Okay, because on the playback, it's... Okay, there we go. All right. I think we've got that now. I was trying to look online. Okay, it's back. We'll try again. That's on YouTube's end. I, pro pro I apologize. I've got no... Nothing dropped the mind. The signal's going out just fine. YouTube's just not getting it. So, all right. Going to try again. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it shows like there's two people there. I hope everybody didn't disappear. Uh, but I'm going to try anyways. All right. So we'll try that again. Um, so, yes, yeah, she says that it has to be, these six must go for there to be any hope that um, for the tribes to weather this darkness, this storm that is approaching. Um Tevin, like, sets down the dishes, and he's just kind of standing there, and everybody's looking at him, and he looks confused like he doesn't know what to do. And the chieftain, you know, kind of stands up and smiles and a little bit, and he, he walks across the, around the fire and comes over to Tevin, and he looks down. Tevin's a little guy, and he looks down to Tevin, 
And he leans in and he whispers. And Tevin looks a little concerned, but he's, after saying he raised his hand, he goes, I, I accept this vision. And everybody cheers. They're like, okay, cool. Tevin's in. Oh, Lord. <laughs> oh, goodness. What does this mean? Um, but Tevin accepts the vision. He has to. He has to accept. And that's what the chieftain leans in and says. He goes, you have to choose whether you accept this vision and you agree to go. You can't be forced. This is what this, the spirits have given us, this guidance. But you always have freedom of will. You must make a choice. And so Tevin's like, okay, I'm, yeah, sure. That, she says so. I, I guess I'm going to go. So Draven's like, okay, well, these guys are with us now. And the rest of the group is like, wait a minute, are we sure we're just taking these six guys? I don't know any of these guys. Do you know these guys? And Draven's like, I'm familiar with all of them. I, I know probably Tevin the least, of course, because he's a child and I don't have a lot of interaction with the children. Um, but, you know, if that's, what, if that's what Shostra's vision says, then that's who's coming, you know? And they're not real happy about that. And I'll be honest, they, uh, they tried, the characters, tried to find a way out of that. Because the, uh, oddly enough, they're like, if we take this guy, because he's a kid, right? How many hit points has this kid got? Right? He's like 12, something like that. He's got like three hit points or something like that. If this kid, one hit and this kid's going to die. And Draven's like, I did, no, we, we have to take him. And they didn't like that because they knew that I was putting him in a position where they were going to have this kid to protect. That was their concern. They didn't want that. If there was someone there with no real combat skills or abilities or anything with very few hit points, that's basically someone that is might as well be an anchor tied to their necks, you know? Um, now, would I do that on purpose? Would I put someone in that situation? <laughs> yeah, I would. But, you know, that's it. And so the uh, one hit and he'll die, that stuck. And uh, for the rest of the adventure, even though this isn't in the game, uh, everyone referred to him as one hit Tevin. <laughs> That's one hit Tevin was uh was 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 his nickname. Not in the real world. That wasn't his last name. Not Tevin the one hit, obviously not. But one hit Tevin as well. Oh god, one hit Tevin. Where is he? What's he doing right now in this situation? Uh, yeah. what's going in this troubled situation? Where's one hit? Where'd he go? It just became a kind of a running gag of the of the players at that point. Um and uh the final part of Shastra's speech is that she states they will they will leave upon the morrow. Uh, this night to rest, and then we will take him to the Cave of Winds. And there, hopefully, they'll be successful. And they will, and turning to Draven, goes, and there you will find the second artifact that you seek. And they're like, oh, okay, well, she got her vision we're looking for. That's what we needed. So, they go back, they talk about this. This is when they tried to talk him out of it. And Draven's like, no, man, if she says they're coming, they're coming. This isn't an option. The prophecy says they're coming. Now, what happens to them on this prophecy? Definitely. I mean, I don't want any of them to die. These are my friends. These are my allies. I'll do everything I can to protect them as I would protect you. Because at this point, I'm being told they need to be here. They just hit the same level of importance as you guys. Now, when he says that, he does look at Artemis for just a second. He looks back and goes, they're important. and They need to be here. So if that's the way the prophecy works, you're here for the same reason. I've got to follow that. So definitely, my, my, my players were, were dreading this. Because again, it's just more NPCs in general that they don't know how their skill levels are. They may have to protect all of them. This is more people for Artemis to have to heal. She's the only healer here, right? Um, but what choice do they have? Draven says they're coming. So the next morning, after they've had time to rest, they awaken. Um, 
they're not taking their horses. The horses are staying here because they don't have... They have some horses, but they're, they're going to go on foot because there's so many of them. And I say next morning, I should say, not next morning, the next evening. I'm sorry, they're asleep through the day. And the next evening when the sun goes down, the ravens are there, they're all going to leave. Because, you know, daytime. Um, and Shastra and many of the tribe are there to see them off. Uh, but Shastra there specifically... has little leather tubes. The top, there's like caps that look like corks that are in them with little strings on it. And she says that inside of these, she hands them to Draven, Michael, Artemis, and Danny. Inside of these is something that I've drawn for you. This is for you and only you. Do not open it now. You will know when it's time. But these are just for you. And hands each person, each of the four of them, not one hit Tevin and the other guys. There's six of them, remember. Six tribals are coming with them. And then she goes and she gives each one of them a hug, a little kiss in the cheek. And they're all taller than him. So they, as soon as they walk up, they'll, they'll drop to a knee. They know how this works. And, he gives a hug, and she re leans in and she whispers something in each one's ear. And each one, I mean, it's like that. Their eyes kind of bug out and they nod. I mean, they're, they're getting something they're being told specifically as well. Being told something just from them, from the prophet. That's a serious business. That's, that's a blessing. That's an honor for the for, for this prophet to speak. Other than like, hi, how are you doing today? Can I have a sandwich? I mean, for, to actually speak of this type of thing, that's a great honor. They're already chosen by a prophecy. That speaks a lot to them already. The spirits, the gods, the fates feel that they're important to, to this mission. That's pretty big. But now she's speaking words of prophecy or guidance to each one. And the last one she gets to is Tevin. And they're, like I said, they're close in age. He may be just a, a little bit older than her. Uh, he's still a little bit taller than her. He's a little guy, but he's, he's still young. He's hitting that growth spurt age. So he's, now he's, he's as tall as Michael. Remember, Michael's incredibly short. He's probably definitely taller than Dandy. And Artemis is pretty short as well. Draven's towers over everybody. Uh, but he, he's got a little growth spurt on there, but he's, he's still one hit Tevin. Um, which him, and he just gets this bug-eyed look on his face, and he just kind of nods, because, you know, he's out of his element. You know, he knows how a lot of this works. You're raised knowing your history, of course. But, you know, he was never prepared for, hey, at this age, you may be out on an adventure. Um, he just, it doesn't have their parent. He, You can see that he's been given weapons and armor and such that hadn't been gifted to him before. They're of good quality, but they're new, if you will. You know what I mean? They're not, like, this isn't well-worn, that stuff he's used to, and he's kind of shifting in the, the leather armors, that, the leathers that he's been given. Um, and they appear to be a smidge too big for him, just a bit. But he, he, he nods at the prophet, and she smiles, gives him a little kiss in the cheek, and then goes back like everyone else. And then the chieftain speaks, and he goes, it is a great honor that in this generation we were chosen to be the home of the prophet. It is an even greater honor that now that this time of darkness comes towards all the tribes, that again it is armed people, the people of the Wantalu, who are chosen to help guide our allies into defeating the darkness that threatens us all. Go forth and, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, go do, do what you're told, follow them, lead them where you're there, bring them back safely. This is, this is, this is your, this is your uh, path. 
That's what I'm looking for. The chieftain, not stupid, sent runners to the other to the other uh, uh, tribes and like, listen, this is the prophecy. Because sometimes the prophecies are for everybody, and they share that. Um, so every year, there's a big gathering where all the tribes come in, and there's a big you know, end of year kind of thing. But this the seasonal one is just tribe per tribe. So they sent off to tell everybody else, hey, this is what we heard. These people are off doing this. Bad times coming. Stock up your food, stock up your water, stock up your healing salves. Uh, make sure you got your arm and sh armor ready and your weapons sharpened because some type of darkness is coming. We just don't know what it is yet. Um, why walk into it blind? We've got a prophet. Let's use it. And everyone says yes and so on. And, and everybody's like, hey, and everybody starts to cheer as Draven turns and starts to walk out. The tribal's with him and the rest of the party like, okay, us too. Danny's waving at everybody. They're waving back. And she's like, wow, it's cool. Everybody waves. And they, uh, they head on out of town, heading towards the Cave of Winds, uh, which is uh, like three or four days away. And that, I think, is where we're going to stop for today. We're at 10.18. We've got two hours and 20 minutes. If I jump into anything else, we're going to run way too long. And uh, I'm still a little tired from the 24 hours. Uh, and I got to get up really early for my wife's appointment. Uh, so two hours and 20 minutes is right on par to where we are. Um, now next Sunday is not a Merge World Sunday. We've had three in a row. Next Sunday is the members stream. So Sunday morning will be the normal Sunday morning stream. Um, and then that evening will be members only stream. So I'll have some more information up on that uh, here in the very, very near future, uh, this week, but what's all going on? <laughs> Mystique says, I wouldn't be able to make it if you did any more. Yet Teresa's like, Draven, you're mean. <laughs> one wants me to stop, one wants me to keep going. I'm a horrible person, so unfortunately I'm going to stop. Uh, because again, I, I like to have good stopping points. And at the edge of sections of the adventure, it works out a little bit better. Um, now, whether or not I'm streaming tomorrow is still going to be a little dependent upon what I find out when I go to the doctors. Whether I find out there's going to be another... Uh, another surgery in my future. Um, so I may be streaming tomorrow. I'm not sure. I'll post up as soon as I find out uh, from the doctors. Uh, but I will be streaming Tuesday. Uh, I don't see any reason that I should not be. So Tuesday we'll be back for sure. We're doing a little bit of Sky Factory 4. Again, thank you all for coming to hang out with me on my World, my Merge World stream. As you know, this is some of my favorite thing that I get to do on the channel. Uh, it means a lot to me that you guys are interested and enjoy this. Um, if you did enjoy the stream, you haven't already, please click like. Most importantly, subscribe to the channel if you haven't done that. Uh, go back if you haven't. And some people said they're rather new. I'd love for you to, to uh, hear, uh, hear, hear some of the earlier stuff. Again, it is available on iTunes and Spotify, but all the video streams are available on YouTube in a playlist as well. So whichever way you prefer, they are there. Uh, but thank you all again for coming. Uh, can't be here tomorrow, Turtle. Well, that's all right. At least not to the end. That's all right. You know, I put them all up online, right? They'll be available. <laughs> I will try to work this week on putting together at least the first of the uh, highlight streams from the or highlight videos from the stream. I'll do my best to work on that, uh, depending on the surgery stuff and how that goes. But I'm going to call it a day. You all have yourselves a wonderful evening. Uh, thank you again, members, uh, especially for being here and being a part of the membership program. Again, you have no idea how much that helps uh, and uh, you guys being a part of that and supporting the channel. So thank you. And an extra special thank you to my moderators out there for all the help that they give. You all have yourselves a wonderful day, and we will see you again very, very soon. Thank you for joining me for some more Merged Worlds. I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening. Have a great day.